Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Y'all a brew heads? Yeah, we brew heads. So pour a glass of crap beer. We can do this. Yeah. What's good, y'all? This is C-Certified Brewhead, and welcome to episode 140 of Beer and Others, the podcast, adjunct series. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a fantastic one tonight. The American breweries that we get to talk to on the podcast are always super fun. I feel like we get um, a whole bunch of different perspectives, and you know, obviously, typically here, we, we speak to a lot of uh, you know Ontario and Quebec-based breweries here in Canada. So when we get to talk to the American ones, I, I'm a huge fan of it. Obviously, you know, we do a lot of beer traveling in the States. And this particular brewery, uh, we were there back in July of 2019. And uh, so it's about four years, uh, almost to the month. We're in August now, but just after, um, since we last spoke. So a lot of things would have changed for these guys. Um, the state where these gentlemen are from is one of my favorites in the world of any uh beer area and region i love it so much um i'm just really excited to get into it y'all so please let me bring this up please welcome lee and jake of crooked run in the building welcome you legends how you guys doing good how are you doing freaking delightful really great to have you guys on um as i was saying Four years. That's kind of crazy. It doesn't, it feels that long, but it kind of doesn't as well. I don't know. It's weird. It's like a weird little. For sure. Yeah, COVID uh, has made everything seem like, you know, a million years or like yesterday. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. It's, um, it's crazy. I was saying to, to Lee off air while we were setting up that, uh, you know, it's been cool to, to watch you guys do, you know, just grow and change over the last few years via social, you know, catching Instagram and Facebook posts and, and everything. And like, even just we're mapping out before what we're going to talk about, there's a whole bunch has been happening. I love hearing that. I love seeing the growth. So um, I'm excited to get into all the convo. But first things first, let's get a beer in us, boys. Uh, tell us about what we're starting with. So the first beer you've got is Labor Days, correct? That's the one. There we go. Cool. Yeah. So yeah. this is this is uh, the one of four special ten year anniversary beers that we did. Awesome. Um, and each one was a multi collab with a couple of our our friends. Uh, this one is oh. Wild East and Wheatland Spring. Uh, so two awesome lager makers. Uh, we've done some collabs with them in the past, and we did this one, which. So in the summertime, we brew a lot of corn lagers um, using heirloom corn malt um, and 100% Virginia grain, which is the same thing we do in all the beers. But uh, this beer, Labor Days, uh, uses red, white, and blue corn. That's so um, Yeah, and I mean, like, it doesn't really, <laughs> it doesn't really like add any color or like any particularly different flavors that are super noticeable. But yeah, it's just something cool to do because in the you know, our other corn lagers, we have one with red corn, one with blue corn, and uh, one with white corn. So just mix them all together, and it is a double decocted uh, lager. Um, all the corn lagers have, like, you know, pretty light dry hop, but not anything that you, you know, would jump out at you because that would completely overtake a little low ABV lager like that. But totally, um, super crisp. Super refreshing. It's kind of our take on, you know, the, the fable pre-prohibition lager, um, kind of a beer that uh, apparently Americans drank before Prohibition, but uh, it's just it? super crushable summer beer. When you say apparently, do you not uh, you not believe it? 
I mean, all that beer lore is so, I feel like half of it is apocryphal. Like, you know, I, the whole beer on, you know, highly hop beer on ships to India, created IPA thing <laughs> is apparently not true. So Damn. once I found that out, I was like, yeah, I mean, who knows how much of the rest of it is true, but yeah. I, it, so it's kind of complicated. I, I read it one time. It's like, there's, there's like a kernel of truth to it, but the reality is like, it wasn't done that way. It just was mostly made for, you know, uh, British markets and they sent some to India, but it's a whole different nerdy subject. Um, but yeah, just, uh, the, the corn loggers, like obviously we have plenty of corn and rice loggers today with all the macro loggers and stuff. Um, but this is, you know, something that actually has a bit more flavor, um, and obviously has, um, more of a hot presence too. Definitely. Oh, the nose is crazy. First of all, boys, cheers. Great to hang. Cheers. Mm. Wow. This has got, um, like what's the ABV? It's got to be five. No, I think that one's 4.2. Oh, wow. it's five. It says 4.5. Four. Yeah. Four. On the can. Yeah, anyway. yeah. Um, this does not taste that. I feel like this has got to be, one of the would you consider this like an american light lager would that be the category like a craft version yeah for sure this is one yeah. of the most flavorful ones i've ever had like i expected something a lot you know how like i love craft versions of these by the way i think they're uh, super fun i feel like they're uh, a great gateway for existing macro drink uh, drinkers and i think gateway beer is a uh, super important but this is crazy this is like what's giving it this punch i feel like this i mean maybe i'm literally my one sip and my first beer of the night but like What's giving it that uh that punch? Is it the different corn? Like it's a double decoction for sure. Okay, let me note that down. Double decoction. So is it? It's, I guess it's not um uh, standard for a, a a lager of this style to be double decocted. No, I mean even with like craft breweries these days, it's not very typical. All our other corn lagers are step mashed, um, which just kind of helps give it a drier uh, finish. But okay, the uh, the the double decoction is something that we do, you know, German styles a lot, but, uh, we just, you know, all, all four of these anniversary releases, we kind of wanted to pull out all the stops and just put, you know, the maximum amount of effort that we would typically put into a beer, uh, into all of them. So yeah, it definitely, I mean, the double decoction gives it, uh, it's kind of hard to describe the flavors of a decoction. It kind of, it's sort of correct to say it amplifies like multi-flavor, but that, it doesn't necessarily create like a really malty or sweet tasting beer. Okay. It just kind of gives it a depth of flavor that it wouldn't have otherwise. Huh. That is fascinating. And I imagine, cause I know this is like you said, the 10th anniversary that was in, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was kind of mid June. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, okay. June 24th, 24th. Okay. Um, and being that was so close to, uh, independence day, was that the reason for the red, white and blue corn? Yeah, kind of. Um, I mean, I don't know, just in general, like American Brewery, we have a big American flag right behind the brew house. Um, and like I said, like uh, we do three other corn lagers uh, normally, uh, and each one is with a single variety of corn. So we did uh, one with, with Bloody Butcher, um, red corn, uh, one with Pina uh, Vista, um, white corn, and then one with uh, Tex Malt, uh, Indian Blue. Okay. That's fascinating. I've never even heard. I think I remember back in the day 
a mate went to like Peru or something and brought me back like a purple corn. I want to say it was an IPA and it was actually purple. Is do the blue and the red corn emit any colors like that, or is that was that like maybe something they added some dye or something? In? No, you you can uh, bl- so blue and red don't, but Indian or sorry, um, purple corn is like a kind of different thing. The kernels mm. are like really huge, and um, to get color out of that, you actually have to steep it. Um, it doesn't work mashing it. We actually did a, a purple corn lager with dissolver, um, another uh, collab. Uh, maybe like a year ago, but yeah, you won't really get any color unless you use a bunch of it and you just like lightly crush it and steep it in the finished beer. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Otherwise minimal color contribution, but you know, it's just, uh, corn's not super expensive or anything. So it's easy enough to spring for the good stuff and, and throw that in there. Okay. Um, this is fascinating. I, I can't get past the, how punchy this beer is. This isn't crazy to me. Just like being this light color and this much flavor, I've definitely never experienced that before. And I guess that's cool, learning something. I didn't know. The double decoction then, is that something that, where did that idea come from? I guess the other two breweries that the collab is with the crispy guys. So did it come from? Oh, yeah. I mean, so all three of us do decoctions pretty frequently. And um, I mean, I can't speak for for those guys on uh, the particular beers they do it in. But like for us... uh, we started, I think our first decoction mash was um, outside. We've been doing decoctions on our mix room beers for a long time um, okay. because that's what you have to do. That's kind of what a turbid mash is, sort of. But um, we, I think we did our first decoction on a clean beer with our Schwartz beer. Uh, that was our first Oktoberfest release like three or four years ago. Um, and then we've been doing them ever since then. And we almost like, we have a, a core pilsner that we do that doesn't have a decoction on it, but almost everything else has a decoction at this point, one, two, or sometimes three. Um, they're a pain in the ass and huge props to our brewer, Ryan, for doing them because like you got to stir, at, you got to lean over, you know, a boil kettle that's very hot and stir it constantly so it doesn't burn. Um, and it is tough, but uh, he does them and, and, you know, uh, can do that for a solid 10 minutes without, you know, his arms falling off. So, uh, he is, he's the guy that gets that done. And, um, yeah, we, the only thing with the decoction is it adds a ton of time to the brew day. So like if you're brewing, you know, four times into a tank, like you probably not doing decoctions on that beer. It would just take, you know, a good 20 hours if you did it that way. Ease. Okay. So it's hectic and it's, uh, it's a dedication. To do something like this. Yes. Okay. For sure. Well, it definitely, I think it's worth it. Damn, this is crazy, man. The flavors, yeah, it's super toasty, tons of malt flavor. I feel like it's got the subtle corn in the back. I don't feel like it's overwhelming like the lighter luggers. Like the malt presence is great, a little bit of grassy bitterness in it. It's fantastic, boys. Well done. Great stuff. Thank you. Um, So I just double-checked and we the last part was, so we, longer story, but we changed all the format of everything and we moved everything into seasons. So this is the season that we're doing right now is all of the virtual pods. So if people want to hear the full story of the original season, it's episode 147. If, uh, so if people want to go back and listen to that, that's where we're going to get into the story. We're not really going to go into that um, tonight. Maybe it might be worth very briefly just mentioning what you both do in the brewery. Um, just to put people have context on that and then they can go listen to that for the full like history. And we're going to talk about other fun stuff tonight. Whoever wants to go first. Yeah, Jake, what do you do then, man? 
Sure. Uh, so I handle production management, uh, distribution, and marketing. Okay. Beauty. And Lee, what are you up to? Uh, operations, uh, front of house, make sure that we're open. We've got electricity and flowing water. So well, here. very important, very important stuff. So when we did the pod, it was in the Sterling, Virginia location, which from memory was maybe like 15 to 20 minutes from Alexandria. Sounds about right. Yep. Yep. Um, there's a second location that you had back then, which was in, remind me. Leesburg, Virginia. Leesburg. So that's probably another 20 minutes west of Sterling. Okay, perfect. And then the third location that opened up recently uh, was in D.C., is that correct? Yep, it's in uh, northeast D.C. in the Union Market District. Uh, Amazing. Union Market's a pretty historical uh, landmark there. Amazing boys. I mean, look, that's huge in the, in, in the, in this economy type of thing. And, you know, opening the, uh, the new spot, I saw the photos, like the front looks awesome with the design. Um, they really, you know, the branding consistency is crazy. The branding that we're, that we're seeing on the cans now and, and across the, obviously the space, was that around back then in 2019 or had things changed since then? No, uh, good observation. So we switched from Crooked Run Brewing to Crooked Run Fermentation. Okay. And um, that was primarily driven by the fact of we started making wine, got into making cider and seltzer as well during 2020, 2021. Uh, so uh, Jake wanted to rebrand to Crooked Run Fermentation from brewing. Love that. I mean, look, that makes a lot of sense, and we're definitely going to get into that tonight. So then to catch everybody up on, you know, since we last spoke to now, where do we start? I mean, obviously the, uh, you know, coming into 2020, you know, shit hit the fan everywhere. Um, you know, without sort of everyone probably a little over talking about it, but how, what, what, what did you guys do? How did you guys pivot? How did you guys kind of like get through those, you know, couple of years? So, yeah. Whoever. That's a very good question. So, um, in, in 2020, obviously, when things uh, hit the fan, I, I was just coming off of uh, maternity leave. Uh, my wife and I had our first kid uh, born New Year's Day 2020. Um, I took the month off, and so I returned to work in February. And very gung-ho, uh, Jake was holding things down, and things were going great. And then it wasn't until uh, you know March when things came to a grinding halt there and we had to immediately pivot uh, because no one knew what was going on. Um, luckily, we had bought a canning line back in August of 2019 and we had our own canning line. So we were able to quickly switch over to um, pick up, curbside pickup because uh, no one was allowed to come inside the building. And um, we switched a lot of the existing draft into cans so we could sell. Uh, got creative as much as possible as soon as regulations lifted. Just even the slightest, we took advantage of it with outdoor seating. And then um, Jake's actually sitting in the outdoor seating there in Sterling. And uh, we added as much as we could. Covered tents, heated, and it's just a continued evolution trying to navigate um, through all the regulations, abiding by all the um, restrictions that we had and, and trying to make people feel safe during a very uncertain time. Mm -hmm. um, 
we never laid off anybody. We um, were able to keep everyone employed. Uh, that includes even our um, restaurant and hotel bar. So oh, yeah. uh, I think we had 40 employees that we were able to ma- uh, maintain during that time. That's amazing. And just literally every day, you had no idea what was going to happen. Um, so you just did what you could. Uh, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, keep going, keep going. The main thing that we did that I, I'm really proud of is that we immediately made a huge investment in outdoor seating. Um, I'm somebody who likes to drink beer outside. I'm outside right now, even though I'm getting torn up by mosquitoes. Uh, but um, like we, we had heated outdoor tents um, by like October of 2020. And like you saw other people do that, but not until like much later. And I mean, because we were like one of the few places in town that you could have a beer outside and not freeze your ass off, like our sales were, were pretty good, um, all things considered, that, that first year. Hmm. That's dope. Was it, what was it like in Virginia itself? Was it pretty, um, like, was it pretty, because in Canada it was like curfews, like it was kind of pretty bonkers. Like, what was it like in Virginia? Was it a bit more flux and <laughs> change a little bit, or was it all, what was the vibes? Virginia is like a really good slice of all of America. So, you know, you're in DC, people were freaking nuts about it. I mean, if you got COVID in DC, you didn't even want to tell your friends because like they'd get pissed off at you for like having been around them when you didn't even know you had it. Um, but then in like, you know, central and Southern Virginia, like nobody gave a shit about anything. Um, (laughs) so like, Basically, like it ranged all over the place, but I think huh. Virginia did things pretty smart. We like we had enough safety precautions without it being too crazy, and you know I have certainly have no regrets about the what we did. Um, you know, we we Lee was uh, you know kind of taking the lead on that, and we meticulously followed all the rules. So we did everything we could, um, and you know like. I, kind of for a brewery that wasn't a farm brewery and was really positioned to do okay during that time um we did pretty well okay i mean look that's great news um i do remember you have it already when we were there there was already a really large outdoor seating spot um i remember hanging out after the pod and eating some of the fire ass tacos and, and, and crushing some more more beers so like you just tapped into that parking lot a little bit more is, or is it the same space as far as yeah the- we added uh, two 20, 40, 20 by 40 tents, uh, rigged up heating in that, and then we were able to get an additional, uh, what is that, 96 seats outside. Amazing. Yeah, and uh, one of the things that we did was pretty cool is like, I don't know if you're familiar, but uh, like outdoor heaters are super expensive, mm. and we had the idea to just get some propane job site heaters and literally connect them to like ductwork and okay. pipe them into our tents and it worked like a charm and i mean it was like i don't know maybe one tenth of the cost of one of those uh so we had this like pretty huge like substantial toasty outdoor seating um from the start of winter uh 2020. that's great man that's really smart so that kept things rolling pretty well at least for the on-site side of things yeah um one of the things I was curious about, I was telling you both off air that uh, I was in Florida in uh, April. We were driving down to Key West from Miami, and there was a sign. There was like a billboard on the side of the, you know, that six mile, seven mile highway, whatever it's called. 
and it was like the last stop for don't pay Key West prices, get it here, whatever it was. And we're like, all right, my girlfriend wanted some stuff. I'm like, sweet, I'll grab some stuff too. So I went in and they had, I think, one or two different um, brands from you guys. And I was like, whoa, like, I didn't know. I just still don't know a ton about the distro side of things um, in the States. And I know that each state differs, um, you know, from each other. But I thought that was sick. And I'm like, wow, like, I don't know if you had that before. But to me, that felt pretty far from Virginia. Like, did distro become a, I guess, like a, a big strategy for you guys around COVID? Or were you doing this pre-COVID as far as the, the how far out it went? We, we were doing it before COVID. Uh, I mean, as a brewery, like we were 75%, 25% on-prem to distro, which like, I mean, there's, that's, I think really the sweet spot. Um, And it shifted more to distro these days, but uh, we were still distributing beer to Florida. Like you saw a ton of East coast breweries doing that over the years because like everybody likes hanging out in Florida. So, you know, yeah. send some beer okay. down there, you do some festivals and stuff. Um, and there's a great beer scene there and really great people as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we, you saw basically COVID pushed a lot of breweries into distro more. Um, and you know, initially you saw beer that was for the first time available in distribution. Uh, and that was part of just like the general expansion of breweries. Like, that you know breweries that are selling out every release they get more tanks they have more beer and then some of the beer makes a distro some of it was like shipping uh you know shipping became a huge thing that kind of first two years um and then the rest of it was just like kind of what we see now is um covid really conditioned a lot of people to buy their beer from the grocery store um Mm. i mean a lot of like hardcore uh beer fans would still go to bottle shops and stuff but your average, like, you know, casual beer drinker, during COVID, they're making only one stop outside of, you know, maybe maybe work or seeing friends or family. And that was a grocery store. And so that's where they were buying a lot of their beer. And that's become actually, like, pretty important these days, hmm. uh, for us at least. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, bottle shops are, are still, you know, uh, that's the most common um, place you, you find our beer because we're not big enough to be in, you know, every um, mid-Atlantic chain out there. But, yeah, uh, it's it's definitely good to have your beer uh, in at least one or two grocery, grocery store chains uh, right now. That's amazing. That's such a smart move. I never thought of that. And you're right, like – what I noticed, there was definitely more of a craft presence, at least in Florida, that I noticed there. It wasn't like really for me. Like I wouldn't, I risked it a couple of times, but I got like highlight or like uh, too hearted or something that was like, everything else was just old. That was the problem, I guess. Like a lot of the, because people were probably going in there getting like two fours of Heineken or Bud or something. Like mm-hmm. they weren't really, like the craft, at least where I went, maybe I wasn't going to the right areas to get it. So I wasn't like, crazy impressed i always checked anytime i went to a supermarket i checked but i can see what you mean though like so were you doing that pre-covid as far as grocery or was that like only after covid or during not not as much um so uh we got a a chain around here called wegmans um and it's like it's the best um they uh they've been carrying us for quite some time and actually one of my best friends was their major beer buyer um 
and he helped get us in there um going back like seven years ago but other than that um like you know stores like that you look at grocery stores some of them have like a buyer for each store and some of them have you know one national buyer for all of them and then you know some of them it's regional there's a whole mix but uh, as a smaller place like you're, you're a little bit restricted to uh, chains that have like a little bit more individual um, type setup for buyers. Uh, Cause like, you know, we couldn't go into every like giant out there, you know, but uh, Wegmans has different stuff in every store. So we've been there for, for quite a while. Um, and then we've gone into a couple other places since, since then. But yeah, like I, I'm not somebody that ever feels like, you know, there's some, some breweries that don't want to see their stuff in grocery stores because they, it's not part of their brand. You know, it, it's uh, kind of a, a hit to their brand or whatever, but I've always just felt like I like our beer. I think we have a really, really nice uh, selection of core beers and uh, it makes me happy seeing, you know, that they're available to regular people, not just, you know, mega beer nerds who go into bottle shops. So I'm all for it. Okay. And being available in the grocery stores, allows you to reach the, the non beer nerds or the, the non craft beer people. So like when you talk to a lot of people from uh, friends of friends or family or things like that, like they ask about, Oh, crooked run, you know, are you in grocery stores? That's usually what they say. Cause they mm-hmm. go to grocery stores and I go to uh, bottle shops. So you, it, it allows you to connect again, like Jake said, to the more, common beer drinker and that's hey it's always nice to hear someone say oh yeah i've heard of crooked run rather than oh i've never heard of you <laughs> and groceries that different differentiator for you guys yeah like exactly what lee said like it, all of us are used to operating in this bubble where like mm-hmm. you know we know every hype brewery and you know all the breweries in our state and stuff and then like, you know, I, I did a tasting at, at a bottle shop, uh, like a month ago and like, you know, this is a neighborhood bottle shop. It's a lot of like just people that live in the neighborhood and are just walking around and stuff. They don't know about any of this stuff right. and they've never, they've never heard of us. And, you know, every time I did a tasting at a grocery store, like I would say nine out of 10 people had never heard of us before. Um, okay. and that's great because like I, I really want to reach more people uh, that haven't had our stuff yet. Um, but yeah, it's just very easy to fall onto that, that kind of, uh, you know, um, you have blinders on because you're just so used to, to working in this industry. Uh, but most people, they're not, you know, following 50 breweries on Instagram and, and tracking any of it. Um, and I think that people like that, are in some aspects, like they're the kind of people you want to reach because they're the most likely to say like, I had a positive experience with this brewery and I like this beer and I want to keep drinking it versus, you know, big hardcore beer nerd who just is drinking, you know, whatever new shit they can get their hand on hmm. um, or whatever has the highest on top rating that week. Gotcha. This is great. Cause I was literally about to ask all you guys to answer the questions all before I could even get there. I love this. Um, this whole conversation about gateway. Cause I feel like it's the, by far the most underrated element of craft beer. Like you said, you know, we always, like you said, Jake, that we're in a bubble and we always kind of like, you know, like uh, echo chamber with ourselves. Like we're always talking about everyone we know knows the same jargon and slang and 
all the breweries in either your region or beyond and blah, blah, blah. But then, so what you guys are saying is that you would feel that the newer customer who isn't the typical beer nerd and follows all the breweries are going to probably be more loyal to one, two, three breweries that are near them because they're not, they, they really like beer, but they don't care about it enough to be chasing the latest hype release. Like, is that the type of customer that seems to be like the one that you guys are sort of after? Yeah, I mean, for sure. Like, so I, our brewery, I, I mean, I go on at length about this, but um, we've always made some pretty good beer. We've been around for 10 years, um, but we never really caught the kind of hype wave that you saw a lot of breweries uh, that opened up a little bit later than us catch. Mm -hmm. um, and so like we, yeah, we'd sell out of, of some releases, but it wasn't like this, like, you know, lines and trading frenzy thing going on with us. But I felt like the beer quality matched up to a lot of the stuff that people were really going after. Um, but that, what we kind of always focused on was we were always thinking like, what's going to happen after all this crazy hype and, and beer is over with, mm. what are you going to be left with? And, mm. and, you know, we were always super taproom focused and, and Lee and I were, you know, always around, we talked to customers and stuff. And I think everybody knows breweries like that where like, it's a lot of the connection is the people. Um, but we tried to, you know, have charity events, uh, do like, you know, uh, charity bingo, stuff like that to create that connection with community. And also as it happens, we made a lot of sour beers that like even people that didn't like beer like those, you know, and it would make them super happy coming into the place as somebody that they thought they didn't like beer. And they try this fruited sour and they're like, Oh, Hey, I like beer now. And I can go to this place with my friends and, and not feel left out. And I'm just really happy that we, we never had like kind of an attitude of like, we're too good to, to try to reach out to casual beer drinkers because I think honestly, some breweries did have that attitude and it is really biting them in the ass right now. Um, you see breweries that like five years ago, never in a million years would they do a run club and they're trying to do it now, but like, it's hard to get that sense of community going on you know, at this point. Um, but right. it's something that we really tried to do for, for years now. Hmm. Yeah. And having the, you, you basically can tap into a new market of new clients. And so far, you know, we haven't exposed ourselves enough to, uh, those, those types of beer drinkers. And so that is a great avenue for you to continue to grow your brand, which is, what any business wants to do is continue to be growing. Um, and uh, we, as Jake said, we've done it in, in many different ways, like um, having, we do charity bingo. And what that does is we rotate through uh, a new charity every month. And so that gets non-beer drinkers or non-brewery craft beer, whatever you want to call it, coming into our place to see it. And it markets to them, they get to try a beer uh, that they, you know, they thought they didn't like beer, but they try one of our fruited sour beers and now they like beer and they tell their friends and they come back. So it, it kind of snowballs and like the more different networks you can put yourself out into, uh, not specifically craft beer, the more you can kind of 
grow your your brand. Um, when you were there in 2019, you know, we had a taqueria. We had people coming in for lunch for tacos and realizing, hey, it's inside a brewery. I'm going to get a beer or I'm going to come back after work and have a beer. It's great. Whatever you can do to kind of find that, hit that uh, customer in an indirect way. I love that. I love that attitude, man. I was saying uh, before you jumped on earlier, Jake, did, I was saying to Lee that um, in my mind, I thought you guys, and you've sort of said, both of you have sort of said that you're not hype. I always thought you were the hype brewery, like out there, one of the, you know, Virginia hype breweries. I came in not knowing jack shit about Virginia brewery. So I had to ask people, where do I need to go? Because when we came with the tourism office, they didn't, tourism offices don't really know what's popping you know they go with the breweries that pay them to promote them so like they're often not the place that i want to go to so i ask people on instagram like who do i need to go to and you guys are on everybody's list so all i can think of the reason that you might not be in that world is because you started in 2013 and the hype train didn't really even start until 2015 at the earliest in massachusetts probably and then 2016 17 maybe later before then, like, would that be accurate from your, you guys' perspective as far as like, just the style that you guys are doing, you guys are making fire haze. What was the, um, the flagship haze we had in the last one? Um, the blue can. Heart and soul. Yeah. Heart and soul. Um, that was crazy. No, you're, you're exactly correct on that. I mean, uh, basically it's pretty simple. Um, by 20, so 2016 was when you really started to see that hit Virginia. Mm -hmm. Um, that's, that's when the veil opened and it's either 2016 or 15. I think it was 16. I'll double check um, while you're uh, talking. Um, so that's when you saw that really hit Virginia. And at that point we'd already been open for a while and we were making like, what you know, at, was at the time like kind of adventurous beer, but it wasn't like fruited sour, hazy IPA or pastry stout. And so our rating was kind of locked in at like a 3.5. And then we fortunately like, you know, I like to brew everything and, um, I like everything that, uh, every style, if it's well executed, but we pivoted and started making those things, but we never really caught that wave. Um, and I, when it comes to kind of hype, we kind of dance around the edges of it. Like, hmm. you know, we do some kind of hypey festivals, um, and we have some beers that are pretty highly rated, but it just never really caught on. And it, it's, it sucks because like, on the one hand, like if it, there was no financial aspect to it, I, I wouldn't give a shit about it. Mm. Uh, but there is. And the problem is that like it keeps you from being able to sell your beer out of market. Um, okay. You know, if you, if your beers all have above a four rating, sadly, like it, it does have an effect. Like you just, you can get into markets that you, you don't really have any ties to because people will look it up and they'll be like, Oh shit, this has a 4.2. I'm buying this. Um, but I mean, it's, I could go on and I like, I'm not like particularly bitter about it, but I'm just acknowledging the reality of, of kind of what untapped is you, you can juice your untapped scores. Like, um, I wouldn't say easily, but, uh, there's some stuff you can do. And I mean, just a really minor one without any real manipulation is the first 10 ratings, uh, help establish what the weighted average is. And people just tend to rate a beer. Like if they see that everyone else has rated it, like, you know, whatever, they're going to rate it somewhere close to that. 
maybe a little bit higher, maybe a little bit lower, but like that forms in their mind, you know, kind of what it is. Um, that's fair. Mm. Yes. So like it, like once you kind of have that established, it is always mind boggling to me because like I, you know, I pay attention to what other people are doing. I, you know, I follow all these other breweries and sometimes I, I'm really, really harsh on our beer. And I think like, you know, I, I want to really, really, you know, I don't know, just make everything absolutely perfect and I'm not happy with this or that. And then I try some other breweries that have like way higher ratings than us. And I'm like, Oh, you know, I actually think we're doing pretty well. Mm. Like it's just, you know, it's just the, the kind of place we're stuck in. But yeah, it, it, uh, it does have an effect. Um, but also less and less people really pay attention to them, uh, as time goes on. And I mean, already you see a huge swing, uh, towards drinking lager and almost all lager has shitty ratings. Um, yeah, I mean, there's some, some ones that'll have, you know, better ones, but it's, I, I don't know. I, I don't use the Appetun, but I don't think I've ever seen one that has above a four. Hmm. Um, but that's like, that is by far what we were selling in the tap room these days. And it's been that way for a while and we make great loggers yeah. and we have been for a while. Oh, yeah. Too. Well, it's really interesting again, because we reach out to more of a, a blended craft beer minded, um, customer, non-craft beer customer, the non-craft beer customer doesn't go on on tap. And I would say more than half of the customers that we have coming in drinking the lagers and all, all the beers that we make very well, that's not getting then put into untap, you know, to help boost uh, any of the ratings, which again, like what Jake was saying, it's like, unfortunately you get uh, publications that all they do is they just look at untapped ratings and they go, oh, okay, this is the number one, you know, the top 10 in Virginia based on untapped ratings. But it might not necessarily be what, if you were to ask, uh, I'm not sure how you asked either Facebook or Instagram of who in Virginia you should go see, but like, I know you were, you had a, a couple other breweries that were on untapped more highly rated than we were, but the, the people that get craft beer or the people that, you know, or more of a casual beer drinker, they know that Cricket Run makes really good beer and offers great experience. Mm. Yeah. And, and to add it on to what Lee just said, the only thing that really burned me up was like some publication uh, decided to do this and it got like kind of national attention it was like the top I don't know 20 breweries in every state mm -hmm. and literally all they did was just take the top 20 on untapped and mm -hmm. repost them but it got a lot of attention So lazy. and like when it came right but like unfortunately like a lot of people took it as like yeah this, this must be true um, and if you know anything about beer in Virginia and you saw that list, I don't think so. Like <laughs> just not at all. Um, but that's just the kind of the way it works. Um, yeah. so yeah. Uh, but I like it is, I don't mean to rag on it too much. I, I love untapped no, for the, the utility for like your venue and, and menus and stuff. Um, 
and what you can actually, the information you can put out there about your beers. I mean, we can't fit all the shit that we put in the description on a label. Um, so I love that I can actually tell people like, Hey, you know, this is made with all Virginia malt and, and these, uh, peaches that we got from this farm and this and that. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Uh, from a drinker's perspective, like I don't really, I don't look at the, uh, the rating at all when I check it. Um, I'm naturally an optimistic person, so I don't really, my average rating is like four. Like if I really don't like it, it's like three, seven, five, um, type of thing for me. But I just feel like I, I, I don't know, maybe I'm biased cause I'm in the podcast. I talk to people, I know the people behind it and like, I can't do what they're doing. So who the fuck am I to go and like rate this beer, like whatever. Um, I, I know exactly what you're talking about as well about the, the crispies getting lower ratings. Um, two anecdotes about that. We have a, a, a friends in um, just outside of on the Quebec side of Ottawa called Sankey and Baron, and they have it so much where they made a T-shirt that looks like baseball. It's got their logo on the breast on the back. It says Pilsner, like the last name, and it says three point five over five. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thing, which is hilarious. And I just checked as well. Yep. The best, um, the best in my opinion, the best lager brewery in Ontario is called Godspeed, and um, they're. It's called, they're, they're like owed to Pilsner Rocal has a 4.06 as a, as an average, but the caveat to that is 566 check-ins. So, um, it's probably not a fair, you know, average cause just for the sheer volume. So it's like the lager thing is kind of strange that, um, there's another beer. Actually, I just want to quickly check on that note, just cause now you got me thinking, I'm just like, oh yeah, because I, I've never noticed it. Cause I don't look at what people put. I just put what I put. Um, and if I look at this other one, wow, one of the other best ones in Ontario is only 3.63 and it's got 3,000 check-ins. So, I mean, that's ridiculous. Um, what would you guys say the percentage of drinkers, and I know this is completely like qualitative, but of your, uh, customer base, what's your percentage that are the untapped kind of cats and what are the percentage of the others, you know, whether it's the people who come for bingo, the taco guy after work or the grocery store person? I think the percentage is like maybe one in 20 or one in 30 are on tap folks. And okay. it, I mean that, that like really changes you go from brewery to brewery. I mean, I've been at breweries where like every guy is like, every person is a dude by himself on his phone. <laughs> and I would say a hundred. Are they white guys with beards? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, like, uh, for, for us, like I, what we've tried to do here and I, I think is really the way forward in craft beer right now is I, I always felt like the beer garden experience of like drinking beer with your friends in the sunshine, preferably like a half liter or a liter mug of something, you know, super tasty and crushable. Um, that was my favorite beer drinking experience. And that's what we've tried to deliver to customers. And that is as far away as you can get from the beer nerd drinking experience, which is splitting a can or a bottle with like 10 other guys in someone's kitchen. And it like that, having that, you know, experience that is based on like the camaraderie with people and the nice weather and like the beer is part of it, but it's, it's really not the biggest part. Mm. Like that's, that's what I think is 
something that has lasting power because if you look at like if you look at germany that's exactly what they've been doing for a very long time and people have been drinking beer there for millennia you know um and so u.s beer is like super young in comparison but i think you know going forward like beer is this beverage that like i think you want to enjoy in that kind of like just gregarious fun atmosphere and i i think that the past couple of years have been totally crazy and i i don't think they're indicative of like what i think beer has been for the longest time mm. which is kind of more what i was saying like you know big big mugs of of hefeweizen or or lager and you know people you're you're good friends with and a nice environment mm. yeah no that's a great point um, how do you guys feel about the next one? Down for it? About the next I'm sorry? beer. Sorry, the next beer. I'm time for the next beer. Oh yeah. If you if you totally, Jake, is there uh, any way you could get like a little? Yeah, like, uh, they spotlight? they turn <laughs> off the one set of lights here. So if you guys don't mind, uh, can I time. reposition myself? And also, um, I need to use the restroom too. Yeah, mate, go for it. No worries. I'll hold cool. it down in the meantime. So the. We're sticking. I feel like the uh, the energy that uh, Jake just brought there with the crispy. Um, we're going to keep that running. Do you you don't have this exact one, uh, Lee? Right, Glade. Uh, no, I don't have that one, but it is fantastic. Um, just a a, um, a a good uh, review that we got. There was. A lady, so Jake and I have been bartending in um, DC to, you know, be have a connection to the community, uh, make sure that we have a presence there because everyone is always really, you know, happy to talk to the owner of uh, any business, whether restaurant, bar, brewery, whatever. And we, we want to make sure that it's not just a satellite location. Um, there are other Virginia breweries that are in dc and it is more of that um for them i was bartending one night and uh, a lady was wasn't sure what she wanted to drink and i i tasted her on the glade which is a uh, german style uh, pilsner and she almost fell out of her seat and she said oh my god this is fantastic i i grew up in germany my father was a brewer in wow. Germany, and he used to bring me, you know, and try to teach me about beer. And this reminds me of that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And she lived yeah. in the building. Um, the we're in the first floor of a residential building, um, and she actually lived in. So she was over the moon excited that she had access to that. Um, you know what I mean? Like those core memories that you have when you you try some food or dessert or a beverage, you know, like, and it just, you have that connection to when you were six years old on a Saturday morning watching cartoons. Like, yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. Like there's things that will yeah, they'll never leave. And I think it's even more impressive for someone who grew up in Germany around the, the, the archetype for this stuff. Um, you know, what? I'm just going to mute Jake's one just until he's back. There we go. Um, you know, to say that about uh, about this beer, which is amazing, it's um, 
That's super, super cool. So this is like, okay, so this is a, a German style pills with uh, Halatower and Tetanang 4.2. So it's uh, like traditional uh, using the noble hops from the region. Smells, smells different to obviously a lot different to the, uh, to the lager. Um, looks pretty different. Would you say it's different? I guess I should have kept the other one at the same time, but enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, I would definitely say less straw colored. Um, and just fantastic. It has a little bit more malt balanced with the yeah. hoppiness. Um, yeah, that's, that's a solid beer right there. Yeah, man. Um, it's still because it's four point two. So is this? Would you consider this as like a, a lighter uh, thing of the style at all, or is it just sort of within the boundaries of kind of like a regular? Yeah, I think it's within the the style um, guidelines. But again, it's it's sitting in a beer garden in Germany, drinking a, a liter, you know, of of four point two percent beer. Like you're supposed to be drinking this stuff for extended period of time. So lower right. ABV usually is the better. The better. Yeah. I love it, man. Oh no, this, this is super crushable. Um, it's got that nice sort of, uh, um, floral maltiness, the, uh, super dry, um, herbal, I guess that's the, the hops are giving mm -hmm. off that. Um, it's like a touch, um, the, the sweetness is super mild, so it's not over the top. It's yeah, man. It's exactly what what you guys were saying. Like just that sort of like just total crusher, and you could drink a a liter of this bad boy and wouldn't touch the sides type of thing. Mm. So, I feel like would you say that you're? Because I recall, I don't know if you remember, because I remember you hung out with us specifically after the pod last time. Um, I don't think we drank any lagers on the pod. I remember we had that Ambrosia Sour, which was phenomenal. Um, mm -hmm. The Heart and Soul, and there might have been one other one. Um, and afterwards, I remember drinking the i think it was a new zealand pilsner with the tacos yeah that shit was crazy so like and now having two crispies from you tonight like this is exceptional stuff it truly is is this like your thing would you say what if like crooked i know that you both were saying you guys do a lot of uh sours too but like wh what would you say at this point is like your thing if people would say oh crooked run other uh, the sickest at x like what would you guys feel that that's your like lane um, I, I would say we're still more well known for, uh, locally for our, our fruited sours, but we've always wanted to be known for our loggers and, you know, to Jake's point of like untapped low ratings, even for the, the big breweries that are known for loggers and making fantastic loggers is now loggers are more trendy. Um, mm -hmm. And we would like to be known for more of our loggers. Like our DC location, we have four side poles uh, because we mm. have four loggers on tap right now. Um, at Hell one point, yeah. we had six loggers on tap. Um, we had uh, New Zealand Pilsner, Italian Pilsner, German Pilsner, and American Light Lager. Um, so good. And it's just, that's what we like to drink. It's nice that the, the trends have kind of shifted a bit more to that as well. Uh, you're seeing a lot more in the, the bigger publications of loggers are uh, more popular. And um, that's kind of where the trend's going. So, like, even when we were making hazy IPAs and fruited sours back in 2018, 2019, 
we the brewers all of us we were just drinking lagers like that's what we wanted to drink like fruited sour movies are good you can you can have one but like if you're gonna sit outside talk to your your friends coworkers and talk you know about whatever you're you're drinking a lager just so you can keep that you know that uh, energy going I love that. I really feel like my theory was always that the uh, the brewers are the reasons that lager is so popular because lager is what brewers want to drink and brewers are the ones making the beer. So like they're just going to be like, I want a damn lager. And they just, you know, kept making them better and better. And then that Czech program, I think, was the other thing that brought them. Are you familiar with that? The thing where they sent brewers off to the Czech Republic for like a week or so? Yeah. Um, yeah. Is that... The uh, lurker, lurker does that, right? It's the I think it's the actual Czech government does it. Like they actually uh-huh. like spearhead it. If I'm not mistaken, you might be correct, and maybe I'm misremembering. But someone told me is the government. You have to apply, then you get in, and then you go out there for like a week. It's either one week or two. I think it's I think it might be a week, and then they have an itinerary, and you go around, you meet all the breweries, you meet the. Uh, the equipment manufacturers and stuff. So obviously it's just basically trying to get, um, generate revenue for the Czech Republic via the beer his- history side of things. But I think it got a lot of people enamored with Czech beers. And then mm-hmm. there was at least, I can't speak to the States obviously, but I could speak to definitely Quebec and um, Ontario there where a lot of brewers came back from that. And I just feel like we have an influx of Czech lagers of all, you know, whether it's the dark, the amber, the blah, blah, blah. It's um, it's the best. It's so cool. I love seeing it. And if you guys have four Luke. Luca is the greatest thing on earth. I will go to any brewery that has a Luca over anything else. So you having four in DC, my man. Yeah, our our DC location is great. We have four lurkers and we have um, two beer engines, uh, and I think twenty eight. We have thirty taps total, including the beer engines. What's so a beer want- engine? Uh, it's like a English style um, oh, cask, like cask? Okay. hand pump. Yeah. Um, so we, we we wanted to make sure that we could, as we have done for the the ten years we've been around. I mean, we've made all the different styles. We uh, and we're very excited about the um, the styles that we make and how good they are. Um, wanted to be able to showcase that in the dc location just like yeah hand hand uh hand pulls or side pulls regular draft nitro it's we can we can offer everything so good bro because again as we try to um be available to craft beer drinkers and non-craft beer drinkers Mm -hmm. you don't know who you're gonna get when they come up and say uh, I don't know what I want. What should I drink? You know, and you try as they're there and it's your responsibility to put them, you know, with a glass of beer, uh, that they want to drink and they enjoy. And by having a large variety of different things, you can more easily get someone settled down rather than having 12 IPAs and two sours and a stout like we, we have American light lagers all the way through IPAs, fruited sours, uh, stouts, wheat beers, non-alcoholic beers, uh, 
in DC, we also have um, uh, co batch cocktails, so um, gin and tonics and um, vodka lemonade. And then we have now the cider and the, the wine. So it's like you should be able to find something that uh, trips or trigger, you know what I mean? Hell yeah, man. That's um, it's super cool. The cocktails you're saying are they on draft? Are they like draft cocktails? Yep. So we worked with a local distillery, uh, got their liquor, and then so we do draft cocktails. Um, just to again in, in in DC, not everyone wants to drink beer, but if you can go to a brewery, uh, you know if there's a group of people and some people don't like beer, we have an option for them. You know they they like to drink vodka. We got a vodka lemonade. Whatever, you know, we try to have something for everyone. I love that, man. That's something, funnily enough, okay, looks like Jake kicked out. Who will jump back in a sec. Um, that I noticed in that last trip that breweries were doing that more than ever. Like I saw draft cocktails. I saw wine on draft. Um, just so many kombucha, non-alcoholic, like just seltzers, whatever it might be, cider. All that stuff, I just felt like breweries are starting, and this is kind of maybe a bit of a segue once Jake gets back as well into sort of the convo about like where beer is going. I just thought it was like, it was very self-aware from breweries in the States that were really, and you guys obviously are always ahead of the game with most things, uh, at least in craft beer. Um, and, and the rest of the world is kind of following behind as far as the new world stuff. And um, the... Uh, the fact that so many breweries were doing all of those really cool things and just making a brewery the place like if you had like you said exactly like you said if you had a group of friends and i'm directing i'm like hey it's my birthday i want to go to crooked run and people are like ah oh, but i don't drink beer i'm like don't worry about it bro we got you you're good like i love that so much and my girlfriend kind of stopped drinking beer just for calorie caloric reasons recently so she's really been getting into seltzers and so many breweries wherever she's at have wherever I'm where I'm at really I guess have seltzers for her and she's been loving it and now proactively buying seltzers here from breweries who make them because one you want to keep supporting those businesses but I'm like they've got 90 calories or something as opposed to I mean this isn't so bad but you drink a hazy IPA it's double IPA is probably 500 calories or something okay. um which is kind of crazy and, and on top you know, of all the food that you eat with it yeah like, it's, exactly um, right it's a meal you know i think it's i just think it's really cool and i think it's really dope that you guys are doing that too in particular it's just so forward thinking i love it thanks yeah it's a, so it's one of the things that we try to do to think about how we can uh differentiate ourselves but also again cast that wide net to uh you know differentiate not differentiate diversify our clientele where one goes up, maybe another goes down, and it, it all kind of all balances out. Um, you know, you were at our Sterling location. We added a brunch look, brunch spot, and a uh, cocktail bar because for that specific reason. We wanted to make sure that from nine in the morning until midnight, we had something for everyone at any any time. Uh, and we just added a, another food concept. It's grilled cheese and cheese sticks. So it's like. It, it you really could have a different experience at any different time and uh, during the day. So it's um, since again because we're not we're in a warehouse in Sterling we don't have a view. You know we need to have a reason for people to come out and to keep them there. That's a good point. And 
that's it, man. I don't know. There's something about that. Um, I mean, the, I don't know. Maybe I'm comparing to because Canada is not a capitalist country in the truest sense, like the States is. And I feel like that type of, like, uh, I was going to say ingenuity. That's not the right word. I guess it's sort of like that's the entrepreneurialism. Like, all right, how can we make sure everybody's, uh, I go, yeah, I'm muted now, Jake, you're back. Um, how can we make sure everyone's catered to and how can we do all that? Like, I, I feel like it happens here, but not to the same scale. And then the other thing I noticed about the States is almost every brewery, you guys already had two locations back in 2019, but I feel like almost every place I went had one like in the nearby city. Like for example, you guys, Alexandria and then DC location. And then if you're in Florida, it'd be in Miami and then in Fort Lauderdale or something, whatever. Like there was always so much of that. I just thought that's like, I don't know, it must be, I don't, that, that's what's missing up here. And I think that's probably a symptom of the regulations really at the end of the day but it's just dope like breweries and like really thinking ahead man and just like getting i don't know just thinking about uh ways to particularly in the last few years when things were crazy and you didn't have guaranteed income and revenue and blah 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 so like you know i just i love it i love hearing all that it's awesome it's so cool so why do you think feeling um, where you are that there are breweries that have more than one location is so for for us in in Virginia, we're able to um, take our beer from Sterling, which is our main production facility, and take it to Leesburg. But we still need to produce twenty percent of the beer on site in Leesburg. In DC, okay. we don't need to do anything. We can we can ship all one hundred percent of the beer in. So like it's a pretty low threshold of having multiple uh, satellite locations where you don't have to be brewing at every single location. Is it? the same way up up where you are or i don't believe so i think that's what it was i asked somebody about it because i've obviously since i've come back uh, we got back early may so it's only a couple months but it, every podcast it tends to come up because i was so blown away by the scale of it i guess and the consistency of it and yeah people are saying that there's like you can't just make it in one location and take it to another like i just don't think it works like that at least in i mean i'm in when I was, I met you guys, I lived in Montreal and Quebec. So now I'm in just outside of Toronto and Ontario. And um, it's, there's different rules in every province, but I believe they're a lot stricter here. Like obviously we've all, the whole continent dealt with prohibition and some of the laws still in a lot of places from like the twenties and stuff. And it's obscene. Quebec only got um, growlers and cool ships allowed. I think it was 2018, 2019. Like that's how like crazy it is. And only over the pandemic could a brewery if they weren't a fact, you know, like the manufacturing plant license where you not a, a, a brew pub, which is more like a restaurant license. If you had the brew pub license, you couldn't sell your own beer to go. Like you could, if I want if I went to a brewery and you had the uh, brew pub license, you couldn't have a fridge to, for me to pick up a four pack or whatever. I had to go to the convenience store down the street to get the same beer that I could have got directly and given the revenue to the company that I wanted to pay. So mm -hmm. it's like, it's a little bit more ridiculous. And from what I understand, I'm learning more about lately just because of interest rates and everything. I'm like, I need to fucking understand this because it's like my mortgage went up and like all this crazy shit. So we're like, I need to understand what is going on. And I guess it's just Canada is inherently, I think is democratic socialism. So it's not the same as a capitalist country. So we have a lot of things here. It's America's more like, Good, you know, go and do whatever you want and good fucking luck. Whereas over here, they're like, well, you know, you get the healthcare and you get all this stuff. And because of that, you're not allowed to do the XXX. So 
there's like pros and cons to each system, but that's the, from what I understand, the like, the reason why things were happening. Right. Um, and then, so the, um, hey, Craig, guys, um, can you hear me? Yeah, I unmuted you just because the music was coming through. So can I just you hear wanted. me? Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Can you hear us? Oh, okay. Yeah, um, this, unfortunately, my whole battery has been burned out and my external has also been burned out. <laughs> I'm using a ton of battery life. So uh, you're going to lose me. Um, yeah, so. Do you have a charger? Uh, no charger? I might have maybe. Uh, yeah, it can't charge it fast enough. Um, I don't know what it is, but it's just. It can't, isn't charging quick enough to, to keep up with uh, the rate. So, um, okay. we I can, can uh, I can rejoin uh, if I, it'll take me about 20 minutes to get home. We'll but, be still going. Um, I, we'll be still going for sure. Okay. Cool. Do you want to do that. do that? That's no problem at all. And we can uh, kick it right back in when you, when you get back. Cause we're only like just, just an hour. Sweet. Yeah. Okay. All right. Beauty. Sounds good. All right, we'll catch you in a sec then, bro. Bye. Cheers, cheers. Um, uh, yeah, so what I was saying is, like, still in Virginia, uh, I mean, the rules um, and regulations continue to change, but it, it's all about uh, lobbying to your politicians and to the government to, to change the laws. So right. there's lobbyists that push for craft beer, but then there's also the distributors that have lobbyists and there's the restaurants that have lobbyists that say, well, we don't want, a restaurant doesn't want to allow a brew pub to be able to sell the, their own beer off site because they can make more money. Why would they go to, they're more like a restaurant and restaurants are not allowed to do that type thing. So like trying to categorize and, and have concessions and restrictions where okay, you want to be like this? Well, you have to play by the rules that we have to play by. That way it's fair. And, mm. you know, um, I think craft beer has made a lot of uh, progress uh, over the years of breaking down barriers, updating laws, and um, being able to move things forward. I mean, obviously you have to convince the people that make the decision that it's best for the majority, right? And so if they can point to, hey, if you do this, jobs, taxes, you know, revenue, tourism, yeah, uh, it's it, it. You know, Virginia wasn't the first uh, state that allowed um, manufacturing on site with tasting room with no uh, restaurant. You know, that happened in other smaller states that were a little bit more liberal more open-minded into into doing that and that's where i think you see like colorado or vermont um where they uh are so much further ahead or known as like craft beer destinations and that's just, there's huge um density for all those breweries there like myself i've been to vermont for i've traveled to vermont just for craft beer I've gone to Colorado like three times just for craft beer. So like, um, I don't know many people that do come to Virginia uh, specifically uh, for the craft beer because it's not as densely um, located as those other areas. 
But um, yeah, different states, very similar to the different provinces that you're talking about, have different rules and regulations. Yeah, um, that's a really interesting point. I wonder if, because I went to Virginia specifically for beer, like I reached out to the tourism office. I'm pretty sure I reached out. I don't think they reached out to me. Like, and and to be fair, I didn't know much about Virginia beer, but I knew, I think I knew the Vale and maybe um, someone else. And then I learned about Virginia craft beer. Like I told you guys from the, from the people that I asked and they told me about you guys and triple crossing and, and wherever else mm -hmm. we went down in um, uh, Virginia beach, Commonwealth and all that type of stuff. And I was just like, I couldn't believe it, how good it was. It was, it was just such a, but I feel like that was 2019, right? So I feel like even since then, it's got to be like in the beer world, like, I feel like it's a pretty renowned place now. I mean, even if you look at Richmond, like Scott's edition, like with how many, excuse me, uh, how many, uh, the concentration of breweries in one small area is pretty crazy. Um, that's pretty indicative of, a, I mean, you probably argue that it's a growing scene in the state, but I would say, I would say that it's like, I guess it's sort of hard to tell. And maybe, maybe just for me, I don't know, I'm just biased. I just, I was like, I like discovering the new places. And I guess I just heard enough that I was like, oh, we need to go there um, to go and check it out and just being extremely impressed. So it's, um, it's interesting. I feel like it's maybe the perceptions changing as, as things are going and, and maybe part of it's got to do with hype. I would say probably when any beer scene has probably started with hype and then it comes, say you take Vermont, like I've, I've been to Vermont. I think I had to do it for my, you know, my citizenship. I think I've been 12 times to Vermont. I'm going in a cut in two weeks for the first time in since March, 2020. I can't wait. And they probably started on hype from, um, uh, you know, from Alchemist and, and so on from there. But then now they've, you know, solidified it more when it comes to foam and Burlington Beer Co. and like whatever. There's a, there's a ton of different breweries out there now that are like that. But then you got Von Trapp and people will go there and Von Trapp is this beautiful chalet in the, in Stowe, like in the hills wow. and stuff. Like it's crazy. Wow. Yeah. The Krispies are insane. It's insane. Like it's, and the, the food is, is just as great. But I feel like, it's almost this like, it's like the hype brings them there. So you could argue that the hype breweries in, in Virginia bring them there, but it's, but it, they stay for the rest of the stuff because it's not just about that. The hype will maybe be fleeting or maybe be one part of the journey, but then you're going to want to go to all those other places that are, you know, that are just doing different stuff. And, you know, some lager, mm -hmm. some lager breweries and, and sour places and maybe whatever, like, and just explore once you're in, you're just like, all right, well, what else have they got going on? Because that's the nature of beer. That's why it's the weird industry where if a new brewery opens up next door, you're not mad. I'm like, sick. Well, now there's an extra reason for people to come. They may come here, hop next door, boom, you know? Right. So I think maybe what that is. So Virginia is, like Jake said, Virginia is almost like New York City where northern Virginia, where we are, it's one of the, like, I think Cloudon County is the number one or number two richest county in the United States. Like we have a quite a mixing goal. It's mostly because of the government, um, people working for the government and the, the suburban area outside the, the city. The Arlington uh, and stuff, or is that like further even? So Arlington's where more of the younger folks live. 
And then where we are in Loudoun County, that's where like the rich, those kids' parents live. And they also work for the government. And gotcha. so um, I guess I'm a little um, biased because no, no one comes to visit Northern Virginia. Like that's, Northern Virginia isn't a destination. Like unlike Vermont, you go there, you go skiing, you go see, you go hiking, you do a lot of things, Colorado, hiking, skiing, like already area, already states that have a tourist destination or a reason for tourists to travel to those locations, I think do very well with um, having a large concentration of breweries because if someone's from out of town, they're going to want to go to as many breweries as they possibly can. It might make it a little bit more difficult for the, uh, the more local people to sustain because um, you, you can't go to, as a local person, you're not going to go to every single brewery. You're going to kind of find your, like, this is my brewery. I'm going to go to this, this one place. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, North Carolina, uh, Asheville also like, it's, it's all very interesting. It's all connected. Um, the reasons that certain areas are known for beer. And um, I would say Virginia, since in 2019, definitely has some hype breweries. Um, and there's also non-hype breweries. And, but just across the board, quality has definitely increased uh, over time. And that's, that's really what something that we've tried to focus on is even during 2020, 2019, uh, 2021, as things were like the crazy hype was kind of cooling off during that time when we were busy focusing on other things, we could at least focus on making the best possible beer that we could. If people aren't allowed to come in and experience our bartenders and feel that, um, camaraderie or feel like you're connected to the brewery somehow we wanted to make sure that we had uh, the best possible product someone was taking home and enjoying at their house um, you know it's always very difficult to make sure that when you brew it on site and you serve it on site you have the most control if mm. you brew it and put it in a can or put it in draft and you send it to florida like I, I, I couldn't tell you how well that beer was treated. Uh, I guarantee it sat warm for probably an extended period of time because refrigeration trucks are expensive. So like the beer got warm, cold, warm, cold, which we know kind of degrades the flavor and the, uh, the quality of the beer a little bit. Um, mm. So it's like, obviously, yeah, the, the optimal situation is to come by, but like, how do you get the people to, to come by? Well, I feel like from from like, and this goes for for everybody. It's like it's so it's easier to maybe romanticize a market that's not your local market. You know, mm -hmm. like I can look at Virginia. I'm like, oh, bro, like like when we drove to Florida, we we never we didn't go past your area. Or I was going to give you guys a shout. We went to Richmond, and um, I met a friend at uh, at the Vale and saw the new tap room, and that shit was crazy. Like it was, <laughs> they had like four draft cocktails and draft wines that was one of the places i was like oh okay like people are really they focusing on this they had to rest similar ish to you guys to be honest they had a japanese restaurant inside there um, yeah and then you know a big patio and stuff because i went to the 
other one when I saw you in 2019. So I went to the original one. Then I met one of our same friends, actually, who I met there. He was like, yo, let's go to the new one. I'm like, sweet. And it was dope. And I felt like the quality was better. And I went to Triple Crossing quick because we went there the last time. And I felt like their stuff was... I don't remember anything being even remotely anything less than exceptional, to be honest. But I th- it was, the shit was crazy. So everything that I had on the... on, And I'm talking like cruising through we didn't stay there i'm just like all right boom run in give me that boom car next you know type of thing and tried it in cans when we got to the hotel or whatever um but yeah it was really great but it was easy for me because i had in my head that virginia is one of the sickest beer regions or arguably underrated based on what you're saying too and i I get it but yeah it was easier for for maybe that you know if you come up here i i think here is fucking amazing but maybe you might come here and you'll have such a wicked experience and then you'll go back and be like, oh man, Ontario's craft beer seems ridiculous. Like, you know what I mean? Like you might have it in your head or like Vermont, like you mentioned, um, which I don't, I don't think anyone's incorrect on that because if you had a great experience, you had some great conversations and you start exploring, then it's like, but I guess that the word has to get out a little bit more. And if the thing about you guys though, like people visit DC. So like, as far mm-hmm. as like it's, destination as opposed to other capital cities you know in australia canberra is not the coolest place and ottawa here i think ottawa's great um they got some wicked breweries too but you know a lot of people particularly canadians who've been here forever i just think everywhere's awesome but some people think it's boring as hell too but the beer scene's great whereas dc is this fun ass city it's like new york or something it's crazy like georgetown's insane so you guys are just just a quick zip around like you know like I remember when we were there last time, I think we went to all three states just trying to get to Shake Shack. Like you go into three states to go to a burger restaurant. It was ridiculous. So like it's it's such a nothing to just cross a border and go there. So, you know, you've got that. Maybe someone's gone and spent two, three nights in DC and explored that. And like, well, Alexandria's just over there. And there's, you know, Crooker Run's out there and Aslan's out there and like a bunch of, you know, there's a reason to go out there. So I don't know, that that would be maybe being optimistic and thinking that's what I would think if I'm going to go to DC, I'm like, well, it's right there. And it's like a, a cool add on, you know, you could spend a quick afternoon in a few hours and just check out two, three places. And that's, no, you know, you're absolutely right. And I, I think, well, definitely what comes with, um, this being such an affluent, uh, area, there are so many restaurants. There is so many, uh, like there's indoor skydiving, there's shoot, there's, I couldn't tell you how many shooting ranges we have. There's bowling alleys, restaurants, bars, like all of the, the cool, fun stuff. We, it's here. It's, it, it, there's a lot, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of money and there's a lot of entertainment. Uh, mm. so it's pretty neat. Um, and so breweries are kind of just sprinkled, you know, amongst that as well. So it's, you're not only trying to compete with other breweries, um, but you're trying to compete with just getting everyone's attention. You know what I mean? Like, and that that's also a very good thing that I think has changed a lot. So in 2018, 2019, when that, that hype train was really chugging along and, you know, everyone was totally into trying all the new beers and following on Instagram and it was new and exciting and, it was cool. And then, you know, 2020, 2021, 2022, where there's so much unknown, you felt 
less secure with what was going on in, in the world. And I was like, you constantly got inundated by all these businesses trying to survive. Like everyone was struggling. And so now everyone's trying to, how do I, how do I get more sales? They're looking in the SEO and paid advertisement and things like that. So as revenues dropped across the board for all um, retail, they went to kind of focusing on the same avenues of getting people's attention and it's Facebook, Instagram, you know, targeted ads, things like that. And I mean, I don't know about you, but it, it, it can be kind of overwhelming and exhausting just to like open your phone and look at it. Just you want to see something cool that your friend sent you and you get sucked down this hole of ads and all these just, Oh, here's a brewery. They got this. There's a restaurant. This just opened. It's just like it. A lot. It, it's a lot. Yeah. Everyone's competing for the same headspace. Never thought of it like that, to be honest, that you, you are technically competing against everything, all entertainment. I mean, maybe because I'm so like, kind of like we were saying before, like a bit of myopic about mm. like, if I'm going somewhere, like like we're doing a New England trip, we have to be in Montreal at the end of the month. And we like, all right, well, we've always wanted to go to Boston. So we're like, all right, let's go to like Fidens in Albany, stay in Providence, Rhode Island, go up to Boston, go to Portland, Maine, I haven't been there either. And then to, to Vermont, which I haven't been back for a few years, and then check out Montreal. So I was like, sick. And all of those places were 100% based on beer, except Providence. That was just for the fuck of it. And I just, why not for one night? Like, but I'm going to find the beers. I'm going to check it out. I'm like, oh, maybe there's something cool here. But like, that's what I look for. So I imagine there's probably people who are just, hey, let's go to Alexandria, which we like. The Old Town Alexandria is super cool. And it is very cool, yeah. pretty. So a nice experience. You know, you don't have to be older or whatever. It's kind of a bit bowler, like you said. I, I get it. But it's like doable. There's some nice places. You don't have to spend a, a ton of money. And then maybe they're like, oh, let's go you know, get out of the Old Town and go do something. Grab a... Check out one of the breweries because they got some good, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's those, like, speaking to the customer base you were talking about before, like, you've got the, the, the me and you and Jake type of people who are just like super beer nerds, but then you've got the maybe more casual cats who are just sort of like, you know, going to add tack beer on to their other things, you know? So I'm, I would imagine that would probably be a, a chunk of the, the tourism side of things. And they can discover yeah. you through the supermarket. They might have been in D.C. or whatever, or they drove down to Florida and they were like, oh, you see these pretty-ass cans with the cool designs. They're like, oh, these guys are in Virginia. It's on the way up. We're staying in D.C. We could just duck over, you know, stuff like that. Like, it's interesting how the word travels, really. Absolutely, and it's it's all small, you know. It, it, it's, really, it's really cool that we reconnected because you were on a trip to Key West, and you're like, hey, I know those guys. <laughs> I was like, I felt proud. I was like, yo, this is like, it, it really stood out to me to the point where I think I went back and because I knew that if I went back and liked a bunch of your posts, more of your posts would be fed to me in the algorithm because I have, we have a social media agency and that's usually mm -hmm. how it works. So then I felt like I started seeing your stuff more. And then I'm like, anytime I see it, whether it's you personally or from the brewery, I'm like, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, whatever, I'm, I'm liking it and engaging with it intentionally so that I can see more, 
not even with the intention of the pod. It's just when we had the the 10th anniversary that I was like, oh man, I gotta give me a shout, man. Just be like, yo, this is sick. Like 10, 10 years is an achievement. It's a really big achievement. Um, but yeah, it basically was that. It was seeing it on that shelf. I'm like, fuck, this is sick. It was just, it was very cool. Just because I didn't know. I didn't really know. I thought it was, I, didn't, I guess I didn't realize the scope of what you were doing. So to me, I was like, oh, wow, this is like, but it was the middle of nowhere. You really got to understand how middle of nowhere this was, that the beer was there, which was even cooler because they didn't have like that much of a crazy variety. They had a decent amount of beers. It was pretty cool, but it wasn't like crazy. It was like a liquor store, like 70% of the store was liquor. And then they had a little bit of wine and beer and seltzer and all that stuff at the, the back. Um, my camera froze. We can still talk there. I'm going to change the battery. But yeah. Right. It's cool. Um, so, oh, Lee now. Look at this. Lee's running the pod. Hey. Uh, <laughs> one of the questions that I, I, I think um, would be interesting to know. So, like, we talked to you four years ago. How many breweries have you talked to or brewers um, since then? Like, I'm sure you've talked to some pretty cool people. Since then, okay, so that was episode 140. Why is mine not working now? Oh, hang on, that's why. It'll, is it this one? I'm sorry, dude. I don't know why it's not kicking in. Um, I would have say that it's been about, that was episode 147. We finished that thing at 149, so 159. And then we're at 140 of this second series. So push, and, and then we had some other ones in between. So yeah, uh, pushing 200. That's a lot. It's it's a decent amount. Here we go. No, that's not it. And I'm sure you've been drinking all, a bunch of different breweries, beers. I mean, you, you're traveling just for beer, so. Yes. Um, I've, had, I've had a pretty decent amount of stuff. I've gone pretty hard. I'm, uh, you know, the old, the old belly has grown a bit, unfortunately. But yeah. So, hey, it's a, it's a badge honor. So what's uh, what's your go-to nowadays? Like, what styles are you into? Are you That's following cool the trends? Are you more into loggers now? Or are you, you know, what, what is what is it for you? Bit of, I would say, like, if I'm going to walk into a brewery, absolutely, I don't start a drinking session with anything else but a lager. It feels weird to do that. So I would say that would be my favorite thing. And I would prioritize, if I'm going to a brewery, I would prioritize a place with, with Luca Taps for sure um so if i'm drinking at home the main stuff i'm buying because now i'm in ontario is a different system to quebec a little bit before they only they weren't allowed to sell outside of the brewery you can you can uh ship beer but then they had something called the lcbo the liquor control board of ontario which is the largest purchaser of alcohol in the entire world which is a strange fact and they have breweries that get in there, but then it's a whole six to 12 month process just to get a beer in there. They mishandle it, kind of what you were saying, sit in yeah. a warm warehouse. They might have New England IPA sitting on this warm ass shelf. Like, so I tried to not purchase from them, but then now independent bottle shops can open, which they weren't allowed before, before COVID. So like you and me could just be like, Hey, there's a, there's a store open here. Let's just rent the store and then just pop, you know, fill it up with beer and wine and then you, you're good to go. And also cafes and restaurants can do it. So my favorite cafe close to home here has probably the best fridge in the in the province because he goes to all the best breweries in every week and gets all the new shit. So it's fire. So aside from the lagers, I would always go there every week and I would get most, there's, a, there's maybe three, four, five breweries that I would get a lot of the New England IPAs and West Coast IPAs are my other new uh, big passion, which is uh, 
a segue shortly to that to the next beer. I'm very happy to see that. I love West Coast IPAs. It's it's so when I saw you guys, I was deep in my like give me haze kind of like vibe. Mm-hmm. Definitely like the lagers and everything, and I think maybe that's where I started to get the traction for it. And then now, so Westies for sure. And I usually would. Um, I'm, I'm loving. I have one night a week where I only drink um, like basically double figure percentage stouts or barley wines. So like big beer Wednesday, I call it, and I do it every week. I can probably usually take like two if I only do it at the end of the night, like after dinner. So I got a nice little like uh, foundation. So I'm able to get through those because now I have a house as opposed to a apartment and I've got space for like a cellar. So I've got all my stuff there and I'm able to like, all right, let me get through some of this stuff that's been sitting there for a while. So I've been really like enjoying that as well. So like the big barrel aged stouts and and things like that have been um, super cool. But one thing I'm not doing enough of is the the sours and like the barrel aged sours and stuff like that when i do get an opportunity to do them i love it but i just i don't do it enough i think the problem is the the ipas because ipas have the shelf life lagers can sit there for like six months and they're fine um the stouts obviously for forever but um yeah the the rest of them are uh are pretty regular jake is back are we good yes look at that yeah we're we're good we're back in business we were just yapping about um uh, what we were talking about, the, the benefits of all the beauty of Virginia beer and stuff. And we were just talking about what we're all drinking, like the type of styles, um, the things that we go for then. So then what would you guys both, what, what would you guys, if you guys are having a drinking session at home, whether it's with friends or by yourself, like what would you guys be drinking? I would just to catch you up, Jake, I was just saying, I drink a lot of lagers, haze and West Coast IPAs, massive on, which is wicked because we're doing one next. And the big, big stouts and barley wines, I'm, I'm loving them recently like a newfound appreciation for it. What do you guys rock? Yeah. Well, I pretty similar. Um, I like everything. Uh, every, literally every style, as long as it's made well, um, in the industry for the past five years, you've seen a huge gravitation towards, um, loggers of all types. Um, but you know, I still really like a, a nicely made hazy IPA. Um, and uh, like I said, like literally anything, um, but I always like whatever is recent at the brewery because it's the thing that I've drank the least of. So, like, you know, um, coming up, we've got a bunch of Oktoberfest beers, including our Schwartz beer. Uh, we actually have a really nice pumpkin ale that uh, is something that I think any person that legitimately loves beer would be okay with drinking. Um, and I really like drinking it. It's like basically a kind of malty English ale with a little bit of pumpkin spice. And I'll drink a lot of that next month. Um, and then uh, going into wintertime, we do uh, an Irish stout called Wishing Well. That's a little, you know, classic 4% nitro stout. And I drink that all the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Team pumpkin over here. I fuck with pumpkin heavy. I, I'm with that. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. It got, I mean, it's been cool to hate on for a while now. But too cool. I think that. Oh, too cool. Right. They need to get over A nice one is. Right. Yeah. I mean, like if you look at every style um, that was popular is now hated on. And I mean, a lot of people hate on hazy IPAs, but like I said, I still like a nice one. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm not going to drink like six of them in a row, but, you know, one, one or two for sure. Absolutely. Um, Lee, what's your what, what do you what do you rock them, man? Um, 
So uh, I, I've kind of transitioned a bit. Like um, I was doing a lot of the uh, new releases that we have coming out of Perfect Run, um, and we're still cranking, you know, one, two, three new releases every single week. Uh, and like I was saying in the pre-show, um, we're playing a bit more of the, the hits. Like we're, I, I wouldn't say we're more of a production brewery where like they have their seasonals already set and they make the same thing every single year. But um, Jake really focused this year and came up with more of a seasonal type of production, but spread out over I don't know, like 60 different beers, 75 beers or something like that. Uh, and so, you know, we'll try to re-release same double IPAs, um, West Coast IPAs have a, a good variety, uh, and then sprinkle in there the uh, barrel-aged sours, the wines, um, ciders and seltzers and things like that. So it's, it's a pretty fun mix, and so I'd be always taking – you know, anything that's new, taking that home. And then I, I found myself for quite a while just reaching to more of the larger larger breweries like, um, you know, Yingling or uh, any of the larger, you know, even going back to drinking Sam Adams. Sam Adams for me uh, was uh, two, 2002, um, no, 2006 drinking – uh, Sam Adams being, you know, blowing my mind with how great that craft beer was and getting back to that just because kind of got burnt out on craft beer with how much there, there was. And very similar to what you're saying is like, I, I have a fridge that's a full stand-up fridge that's dedicated just to beer. And like, I have to move the stuff that's been in there for a year, two years to <laughs> Something I'm looking for is, you know, save it for special occasions. And I kind of just got to the point where it's like, I don't really want to have to think about beer anymore. I just want a beer. I got home from work, just want to make dinner, uh, you know, have a beer or two before getting into the meal. And then I'll have, you know, something that's a little bit more special to, to pair with the, the food. Um, but I would say more lately, um, uh getting back more into the, the stuff that we've been making, really, really enjoying the wines um, that we've been coming out with. And McKinnon and, um, and Brad have been uh, running our Native Culture uh, wine program, and the stuff is absolutely fantastic. Uh, like I was saying, I get to bartend in D.C., and I, I really like being able to point someone to our low intervention wine and them to try it and just – be blown away and they they had no idea that they like lower intervention orange wine and it's it's such a refreshing uh flavor especially during the summertime that's awesome um maybe we should uh tap into that i was gonna say just to talk about the wines and ciders and, and seltzers the a real quick aside though when you mentioned there's something else i've noticed that um that you're just going for stuff you don't want to have to think about. I've noticed that it's almost, it felt like a pendulum swing from COVID where then the early time everyone was like, give me everything. I want all the double IPAs, all the new stuff. And then everyone got broken fat. And then they're like, all right, fuck. And, and the inconsistencies that sometimes comes with all the new beers. And now they just want quality, something that they can rely on. Like I want to have 
Uh, is this a right? Is Glade a regular beer? A regular-ish? Regular-ish, yeah. Yes. There, so one of the beers I really wish I sent you, Craig, is um, we do a, a West Coast Pale Ale called Thunder. Hell yeah. And we've been making it since 2013. And I think um, this is like batch number four in the past year. But it's an homage to Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Ooh. And I started brewing it. I started putting it on the schedule more often because, um, you know, to your point, like both of you guys, like talking about beer that tastes like beer is like just not too crazy, more easy drinking. And Pale Ale totally like ticks those boxes. It's like the most unloved style outside of like <laughs> English Pale Ale, but um, it, it's just kind of middle of the road in like a super good way. And we, we've started brewing it a bunch. And so, like, nobody's going to buy gobs of, like, pale ale cans or German pills cans to take home the same way they would buy, like, you know, smoothie sours or something like that. But, like, the cost of goods sold on it is super low. So, like, if somebody has a glass of that at our place, that's great. Um, that totally works for us. And, like, we, I mean, that's how we started out. Like, when we opened in 2013, like, at least in Virginia, like the hazy IPA was like a distant gleam in the future. Um, mostly people were just brewing regular, you know, beer. Um, and yeah, just like, I mean, we make an awesome Hefeweizen. and it's a double decocted Hef. Um, it follows all the same production methods as a lot of the, the great German Hef brewers. Um, it's all can and keg conditioned, naturally carbonated, um, and stuff like that. Like, they're all like 5% or under. And those are beers that you can drink a bunch of. Um, we mentioned Allagash White. I mean, that, that's an amazing beer. Mm-hmm. Um, just just stuff like that. And Stuff you can keep in the know, fridge not, and know that it's going to be fire. You yeah. don't have to think about it. Yeah, you, you, you buy them by the bulk, whether the bulk means 4, 6, 12 plus, and it's just there. And you just go, cool. Don't have to worry about it. I love that. Right. And, and beers like that are like a whole lot uh, less dependent on um, kind of agricultural products that can vary in quality. Like hazy IPA and fruited beers are really, really dependent on the fruit and hops that you're getting. And we've done smoothie sours that were like the second time really shitty and the exact same recipe just because the fruit puree that we we're getting for that year just wasn't good. Mm. and hazy ipa like same kind of deal is like a huge amount of it um is just the quality of hops and like there's there's amazing haze makers out there that like you know if you get shitty hops like it's just not going to be that great um whichever one you made but sure. you know you, you make um well german pills like you as long as the grain you're getting is reliably good and it really should be because that's something that Grain has to be in a certain spec um, for uh, basically um, uh, conversion. And as long as it can kind of meet that, like, I don't want to speak out of turn because, like, the maltster that we use, like, puts so much effort and and time into what they do. But, like, the quality is usually there, you know? So you don't have to worry about a can of something that, like you know, has separated out because it's got a ton of fruit puree or, 
it's um, it's just fallen off because it's a hazy IPA that's past the two month mark or something. Mm. Um, yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, it's just something that I've noticed. That it's like now that you're both saying all this, like a few friends have told me. I'm like, I got made some. Um, Lee and I were talking, Jake, before about like just you know beer destinations and how like Virginia. Well. Lee was thinking that not enough people come to Virginia, but I went to Virginia to see you guys originally because of beer intentionally. And I feel like it's only got better since then. And um, I got a mate in Vermont and I'm like, oh, what do you, you know, whenever he sends me beer, he sends me a picture drinking Natty Light or just some like lately, like then I'm just like, are you crazy? Or like a vodka soda or something. And then he's like, recently he's here, like Lawson Sip or like Heady or something like just classics when he has access to all of this crazy shit and even a guy in a in a beer region like that is just like i just want something i can rely on i've had too many you know misses um you know rolling the dice on these new new beers every week that he just wanted something that he doesn't have to think about and he just knows it's going to be good and i feel like that's a sentiment that i'm hearing more and more often which is really an, an attestation to the importance of flagship beer which i feel like got fronted on heavy because of the things we were talking about earlier with the untapped folks and just the hype style. You know, nobody, how boring is a flagship beer that you can get year round, but this new, you know, the three new beers you guys are releasing every week, that's exciting. And I feel like, you know, that tide might be, you know, very slowly turning. At least, you know, people are getting more and more interested. I'm finding that I am too. I would rather buy multiples of my favorite beer. Typically, I want no more than one, maybe two of anything ever. But, that's starting to change. And I just think that's an interesting observation that you guys are both saying that and I'm hearing it more and more often from people from everywhere. So it's like, could be a resurgence of the flagship. Yeah, we, yeah uh, for sure. We review our um, sales every single week and top five beers, uh, within the top five beers are our three core beers every week. Interesting. It says a lot though. And they're they're super dialed uh, at this point. So making, yeah. I think that and that's the okay. youngest one at this point is like six years old. Um, but Craig, do, do you uh, you drink cocktails? I do. Yes, not as often as I would like to, but I do. Yeah. Um, are you into bourbon? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Well, so um, I never got super into bourbon, but uh, you know, so we we um, we sell bourbon at our, our brewery. Uh, and in Virginia, it's a, a lottery system. Um, and we've had really good luck with getting some amazing bottles. Uh, so I've got to try a lot of cool stuff. Um, but like more often than not, I kind of reach for like, I just uh, grab a bourbon and soda. Right. And it doesn't have to be like bullet rise, like totally fine. Um, with, with that, but like my favorite cocktails are like two or three ingredients. And it just comes down to the fact that, like, I know I can get those anywhere or I can make them at home, mm. you know? And, yeah, you can have some amazing cocktails that, uh, you know, are not in any, like, bartender's compendium of, of things anyone would know. Um, and there's people doing incredibly talented stuff out there. But, like, more often than not, like, I just want, you know, something really simple, like a classic daiquiri or whatever. And it's kind of the same principle for beer. It's just, like just something that like, you know, is gonna tick the box and isn't too expensive or crazy. Once you've just tried a million things, like 
you kind of know what you're in for with most beers. So it's this combination of like, there's not a whole lot new out there and the new stuff that is coming out is like, do you really want to drink like a beer with like soft serve ice cream and bacon? <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, sometimes I don't, but not all the time. I, yeah. I think that that's definitely got a little bit of pushback recently. Like I, okay. Then that's an interesting point that you made on this last trip of all the beers I brought back of the big ones. I was telling Lee, I have like one night of the week there. I drink like, you know, the double digit, uh, ABV stouts and barley wines. And I've grown to like, love it. And what I have learned that I don't love are the pastry stouts as much. Like when I came back from the States, all I brought back in the big beers were just bourbon barrel aged stouts. That was it. I didn't get anything that were pastry or maybe one or two. That was it. But of all the ones I got, all the rest were standard. And I feel like that's the, in the same sort of like pendulum swing where it's more like the crazy shit it had its time. And I was like the biggest proponent for innovation and the most ridiculous beer you got. I want it. But then- you know, sometimes now it's coming back. I'm like, I'll still try the crazy one. I'm like, that's fun. But then, cool, what do you got that's reliable and like, you know, maybe a little more chill. I don't need all the birthday cake in a beer all the time. I'll, I'll definitely give it a crack. I, I'm down with it. But like, it doesn't like excite me or get me as like, I need that type of thing as much as it used to. And I just maybe we're at a bit of an exhaustion for all of that. And now the consumer's searching for like, quality consistency reliability i wish i really wish i had sent you a bottle of the uh 10-year anniversary stout that we did i remember <laughs> i was saying like yes. like we did uh four releases and so this one was a collab with uh barreled souls tripping animals and Findac, and it, it was the best stout that we've ever made um but the thing was like all the the bottled stouts that we do like we don't use any extracts. Like we, we do use extracts on some canned stouts. Um, but like, I think extracts have their time and place, but if we're going to pull out all the stops and make this beer that like, you know, when you sell a beer by the bottle, your margins are a lot better. So like you can spend more money on the ingredients so you can drop, you know, $400 per barrel on vanilla or whatever. But we, we did this beer and it was, uh, it's called sentimental education and it is this, four-way collab with uh we in our our ovens we have you know have a brunch spot biscuit place so we have these really badass ovens we toasted hazelnuts and walnuts and then we did uh three different kinds of vanilla ceylon cinnamon and maple syrup 16 percent uh, 16 <laughs> and yeah, i'm looking at the untapped of it now i I'm feel like, like uh... we i feel like we really nailed this one like i don't I've always felt like our stats have been pretty good and a little bit under the radar, but, um, I just, I, the, the BA stuff is not really like we do a line of milk stouts that totally fall into the pastry category. Is that charm? But, uh, uh, yeah. So we do charm as the lower ABV, like more sessionable one. And then the really thick boy, like crazy one, um, is at 10% and finishes okay. at super high gravity. Um, and so, yeah, the, the barrel aged stuff though, it, um, has a lot more, uh, bittering hops. That's a sentimental mm -hmm. education one just for the people. To yeah, see. yeah. Sick bottle. Yeah. Man. Wicked, yes. wicked um, uh, list of breweries too. Yeah. Uh, 
really, really good stop makers all involved and just uh, Oh we had Heaven Hill battles. I, Fuck on top of the nuts. Damn. Yeah, Animal? it was really good. That's like three different <laughs> types of vanilla and cinnamon and maple. Oh my gosh. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, that's killer. Hell yes. See, that's what I'm that, saying. That, that is, are you saying that this is not an over, this is like a pastry stout by definition, but not over the top. Yeah, all the all the ingredients were like super balanced, I feel like, in that one. Um, because they had to be, because otherwise you wouldn't taste any of the individual flavors. Right. Like if, if you hit it with like way too much like maple syrup, you wouldn't get really anything else. And same with cinnamon. But it was all super balanced. Um, I was really happy with that. I, I just, we're brewing less and less of those beers these days, but I wanted to give it like one kind of final send off. And I wanted to be basically like, hey, here's like, we've been making really good beers in that vein for a while. Here's what we can do. Um, if you're paying attention, this is awesome. And I don't think we're really going to brew that much stuff like that going forward because stout is like one of the categories that's like the most dead of anything you think um uh, of yeah uh huh. of all the the new styles like like really really thick sweet stout um whether it's what you kind of define as pastry stout or just like those high gravity stouts like that um they, they're not i mean it's dead um hmm. but, in virginia or across the board i'm just curious I think it's kind of across the board. Um, I mean, th there are some breweries that, that have kind of built their name on it, and mm -hmm. I think they'll continue to be sought after by the people that are into them. But I don't. I think your your typical person that was into beer, like you know, in the last five years, is not really drinking those anymore. Mm, maybe that's why they do them in such um, small batches now. Yeah, I mean, if you've been paying attention, um, the batch has gotten less and less from everyone doing them. Um, and they're not really selling out as much anymore. But, uh, like, I still appreciate a really good one. Um, we, we are axing pastry stouts 100%. Um, hmm. It's crazy. Like, we went from 2022, the exact same beer on almost the exact same date like 30 cases in like a, a day and a half gone. And then the next year, a case and a half. Wow. Okay. Yep. Just like could, okay. Like devil's advocate. Could that be the, I mean, I guess it makes no difference because same time of year. It's not the weather, right? Like it's hot as shit. People aren't really thinking about the winter. No, we always check into that. I mean, we've, being around for 10 years and having access to these metrics like you know that's mm. the first thing we think of is like what else was going on uh, but no it's just uh do you, okay, so do you, not do you think all. it's like because it's so expensive like all all of the ones i got were, were pretty like they weren't cheap and they weren't all 750 mil bottles most of them were like 500 mil bottles no i mean yeah that's that is part of it but if it was really the expense part, like by the glass, they're not ex that expensive in the tap room. It's okay. just that like, you know, if, if you see people in the industry moving towards lager, then you definitely see people 
even casual beer drinkers moving out of really thick sweet stout. Like it's all this kind of transition moving away from really, really heavy beer. Um, which like, I think we did some really good ones and I think we particularly like in the last year brought it all together. But at the same time, like we do a really, really awesome, uh, English Porter and, um, We've been doing this Irish Stout for years, and I love both those beers. So, yeah, you know, people are drinking more of those, and that's fine. Hmm. Interesting. I find that maybe because I came from Montreal, and that's where um, the dudes there are just heavy into this stuff. I got a mate out there who I get, I'm like his proxy now. He's hooked up in Ontario. There's a few breweries that have done some crazy, like double barrel, like barley wines and like stout barley wine blends and all this stuff. I swear this guy in the last since I've been here in the last year has spent about a thousand dollars through me at least through my local store of me getting all of them and shipping them out to him in Montreal. And uh it kind of to me doesn't feel like it's dead, but it does feel like it's very niche. But I, I don't feel like it was ever anything but niche. At least in Canada, maybe because I don't understand the consumer base down there. So I'm like, that's an interesting comment to be honest for me. Like that the do you guys, well, do you guys still do tell a you, lot man, of, a lot of bottle shares. I avoid it because the last big one I did, which was right before the pandemic, bro, I vomited like projectile. It was the worst shit right. I ever did. So I'm like, I've done a few, many ones, but like those people that I'm talking about, when I, like these more intense cats who like they live in Montreal and they'll go to Vermont every weekend to go to Foam and Burlington Beer Co. to get the latest releases. Like I couldn't, I don't even understand how these people, they must just have a mortgage and then the rest of their money they spend on beer or something. Like they just are just ridiculous. Yeah. The, the amount that they do and then they'll have these crazy bottle shares and they trade, you know, those real like, you know, serious people who have checked into everything, 20,000 check-ins type of people. Those are the cats I'm talking about. So maybe they're just like hyper niche. Um, yeah, well, different mar right. different markets move at different uh, are at different points right now. So like, uh, I think Northern Virginia has always been kind of jaded when it's come to beer. Like we hype has kind of died around here, like actually years ago. But uh, all I can say is like, I mean, even outside of market, like I I know you know one brewery that. That makes very good stouts and they used to do thirty thousand dollars on uh release day and uh, it's a shadow of that now hmm. like it's just not it's not the same like not what it used people to be. are not interesting yeah so that's a really so, good stat though though i mean you look you've given multiple like qu quantitative examples so i mean that's actually like the first i've heard of this and if you got not just you guys but other breweries are telling you the same thing i feel like that's something to watch like that's very unexpected. I didn't expect to hear that. That's that's pretty pretty wild to me. Um, but it's obviously you're talking from numbers. You're not just saying like, "Oh, dudes aren't buying." I mean, like, no, no, no. We went from this to this. Like, that's pretty. That's pretty crazy. Well, it's just yeah. they're in in the area in Sterling where we were uh, nine months ago. There was three breweries in Sterling. Now there's only one. Really? Oh, yeah. that's it's got that that crazy. I mean, that's the next like, yeah, the other sort of convo as far as like what's happening as a, a on a macro scale with beer and stuff. And 
the we'll talk, talk about the offline a little bit like about like you know it's it's in a crazy space right now and the the best ones are going to be the ones that are going to be out there maybe it's it's we're in a bit of a downsizing whether it's you know mm-hmm. dials you talk you know maybe something like that like pastry stats are a tr- in this economy which I, it's just such a funny term but i use it all the time now like who the fuck is buying 25 30 dollar and 25 30 dollar us bottles even in canada we add 30 percent to that like like mm. that we pay when i'm down there that's a lot of money like that's a decent bottle a pretty good bottle of wine and i'm you know you you roll the dice on a one-off you know barrel barrel aged stout that could be whack because it could be poorly blended or it could be not carbonated and the thing's fucked up because that's what happens like it's in maybe people aren't willing to to, to risk that's, it that you know yeah th- that's why i think that that you know, what I felt over the past couple of years is you'll see people still spend that kind of money because like beer has always been cheap in comparison to liquor or wine. I mean, no matter what, it's still super cheap. Like, you know, there's obviously bottles of liquor that go for thousands of thousands of dollars. And at this point, I don't think there's any beer that really does that anymore. Um, don't think but so. yeah, so, so there's definitely room for beer that costs way more than like a dollar an ounce, but it's just like, People are going to look towards the, the true masters of whatever specialist style they're seeking out that warrants that kind of like nobody's going to spend that kind of money on like, you know, a Pilsner because like there's no reason for it to cost that much, you know. But if there's like just like a, a triple barrel aged barley wine with vanilla, people may continue to pay that kind of money because they know that this brewery like never lets them down. It's always really good, you know, but so it'll become what you niche. had over the last Right. And, and I, you know, I think of, of breweries, like, uh, give me some, some examples, like angry chair who, as far as I know, kind of invented pastry stout. Like, I think people will still be into what they do because like, they always deliver on that, you know? Gotcha. Like they've been doing it for a long time. They're very, very good at it. And like, like, uh, certain hazy IPAs out there, right? Like, um, parish ghost in the machine, incredible beer, incredible. I've never had the double dry hop version, but I'm sure it's really, really good. You know, like people will be really into that. Just like you see, like people are still super into uh, Hetty Topper and um, Pl- uh, Plenty of the Elder and oh, yeah, and all the, the other kind of benchmark styles like that because they just know it's going to be good. Um, but yeah, outside of like a, a few makers of stuff like that, I, I do think that you're going to see more of like a leveling of, of craft beer where you see like people, they, they're not looking to their local craft brewery to deliver on a $30 a, a bottle, you know, pastry stout, you know? Right. They're really um, going to the, the people who are known for it and they're not going to roll the dice like they used to. Yeah. And, and they're just, they're just going to want to like, there's still definitely room for your local brewery that makes good beer, but they just want to go there to have like a regular beer and like not uh, the, the people that are into it. Cause if, if you go back like, like five years ago, if you were putting fruit and vanilla in a sour, you could sell it no matter who your name was mm. at all. And it, it could be kind of shit, but it didn't really matter. Like there weren't enough people putting out those styles and they were so new that people yeah. were like fanatical about them. Um, but it's just not the case anymore. So yeah, I mean, beer quality is super important, um, nowadays, but it's this combination of like beer quality and also like what, what are you, what are you brewing? How do you market it? Um, 
And what kind of experience are you offering? Because, like, as anyone in the wine world will tell you, like, if you're in Napa, drink, you know, like, drinking a, a glass of cab next to a cliff, next to a, a fire, uh, outdoor fire pit, like, that's a whole different story than just, like, you know, cracking open the, the bottle at home. Um, and that that kind of experience creates those fond memories that carry over to the brand. Mm. And I mean, just kind of continuing this, like you look at breweries like Treehouse that have invested all this money in like these beautiful campuses, like that's what they're doing. Like there's many people that can brew the beers that built Treehouse at this point. But like, if you go there, like it's a beautiful experience and you feel like, Hey, this was worth it. You know? Mm -hmm. Interesting. I'm going there not this weekend, next weekend. And uh, I'm like, I had to watch a YouTube video to learn how to go there. <laughs> it was fucking insane. Yeah. And I asked yeah. my boy and he was like, my friend is a brewer Mortalis in uh, Rochester. And he was like, he just went there this, this week. I was like, oh, where'd you go? And he went to the Charlton one. And he's like, man, they told me they get like 5,000 people on an average Sunday. And he had to get a shuttle bus from the lower car park. I'm like, my God, I just want to get a pint and whatever, a few four packs, dude, like I'm not, it's like, it just sounds like a whole thing. I didn't realize the scope of uh, what they're doing, which is crazy. I guess that's a whole it's, outlier. It is certainly no, impressive. I mean, it, it, yeah. if you can get to that kind of status, like, so I, I got to go to Europe for the first time, uh, like two months ago and I went to Cantillon and, uh, oh, yeah. John Roy is the, the master blender there. Uh, wasn't there at the time, but I got to meet his dad. Um, uh, Jean-Pierre, who's like, uh, he's 80 years old, doesn't speak a lot of English, um, but our friend translated. And he said, like, Cantillon was was on the brink of bankruptcy. I heard that. Uh, in the 70s. And he basically, like, turned it around and made it a tourist destination to the point where, like, anyone who's into beer goes to Cantillon when they're in Belgium. Like, of, of all the breweries you're going to go to, like, that's no way up there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and... and well, yeah, the, and the other guys make great stuff too, but they're not, they don't have the same thing going on. Like, you, you might go to the other ones, but you're probably going to Cantillon. And he turned that around for them. And if you see kind of what's going on in the US, like, it's the same deal. Like, you, you, if you can create that kind of thing where it's like, hey, you're in Massachusetts, you're going to go to this brewery. Mm. You know, that is, that is amazing. Mm. Um, and that's, the, the beer is fantastic, no doubt, but like, it doesn't matter how many other people are making like the same thing. People want to go there because they want that experience. Yeah. Experience is kind of everything. Um, is it cool? I want to, I'm going to hit pause on this. I need to need to hit the bathroom real quick. And then I want to crack, get into that uh, Westie and we'll just keep this cruising. Is that cool? You give me like 30 seconds. I'll pause it. So I won't leave you guys live. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I'm going to do the same thing. Beautiful. We'll be back in a sec. All righty. Pee break. Loving it. So next beer, because uh, we're you know, hyping up all of this West Coast. Um, I remember I was actually really excited when I saw this in the pack because uh, I saw you guys post this and um, I was super amped. So this is White Oak Scorpion. So this is the West Coast with, um, oh, aged on White Oak. Which, which are the hops in this one, by the way? Um, that is uh, Columbus, um, Chinook, and Centennial. So Columbus. all the classic sea hops. Yeah, let's go. I'm going to write that down. Columbus, Chinook, Centennial. 
Um, do you guys do a lot of um, uh, fucking uh, West Coast IPAs? Yeah, uh, so we, we always have at least one on tap, um, and that's kind of where this idea started. Okay. So uh, since 2013, we've been brewing this beer called Storm. Storm, I describe it as like a contemporary West Coast IPA, which is like not at all like the 100 IBU, you know, West Coast IPAs of the past. Um, it's like a little bit more mellow. It's water chem is like not, not New England IPA, but it's like softer water. Um, and like a 60 IBU, um, uh, West coast, but we wanted to do something that was like much more like old school West coast IPA, Okay. more hops, more bitterness, uh, and some crystal malt. And so that beer is Scorpion and we, we kind of alternate between both those beers. Um, but the, the white Oak version basically like one of our guys was like, Hey, we should brew something like white Oak highlight. Um, okay. And you know, white Oak highlight is an awesome beer, but you don't really see that around that much. I mean, you used to see it sometimes on tap, uh, years ago, but, um, you know, one off from cigar city off of their legendary IPA. And so we like brewing these beers that are, like I said, um, with, uh, the other one I was talking about, um, Thunder, the kind of Sierra Nevada PLL yes. homage, like tributes to other breweries that are making awesome beer. Just like this is our kind of, you know, stab at doing something like that. Um, and uh, White Oak Scorpion is def definitely different than Highlight. Highlight does not strike me as an I uh, IPA that has a lot of crystal malt. Uh, it doesn't have that kind of caramely thing going on. But uh, this is like, this is more like your classic, like two hearted esque. Um, West Coast IPA, but then you age it on, and this is a key difference. Is like I've never had a barrel aged IPA that I liked. Um, honestly, they've always been nasty. But this isn't barrel aged. We we just take oak spirals and we recirculate the beer on it uh, right after, uh, or sorry, right before dry hopping, and it's like a max two day process, and it's pretty cool because like when. <laughs> When it first hits the oak, the aroma is like furniture store in like a really good way. Okay. Um, but then it mellows out and it like, it just gives it this like really, really, you know, oak has like a chemical called vanillin and there's a whole host of other chemicals, but like it just has this soft kind of round feel to it that smooths out some of the kind of bitter edges. And like we only make it like once or twice a year, but it's just a pretty badass beer and I, I really love it. A select group, group of customers love it too. Um, it's cool. Oh yeah, I'm excited, boys! Cheers. 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 Get that in you. Oh hell yeah! Okay, so the oak side. I see what you mean about the two hearted, because like I feel like highlight is a little more uh, darker. Because I, I definitely drank both of them a bunch in Florida, just because they were like nice, easy go tos that weren't. You know, you have to think too much about them. This is definitely giving me that it's like sort of bright, not over the top piney or resiny, but nice and sort of like balanced in there. So the oak, what is that giving the beer, say different, differentiating it from like the original one? Yeah. So to really get it, you'd have to try both of them side by side. But mm -hmm. 
basically what it does is number one, it makes it less bitter. Um, and number two, it just, it's kind of hard to, if, if you try to me, you know what I'm talking about, but it, it gives it this kind of rounder feel to it where okay. it doesn't have as much like bite. I can get that. I mean, that's what you're saying. Yeah. Like technically the IBUs are the same and there's no sugar being added to like balance the bitterness, but it just like okay. smooths it out. And it makes like just a, not necessarily easier drinking because it has its own kind of oaky flavor, but it's like just this, I guess, um, more mellow uh, version of a very bitter West Coast IPA. I can see exactly that. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm even some sort of like light sort of honey-ish vibes. Yes. A hundred percent. Coming yeah. through, which kind of like, okay, because like I've had beers with the oak spirals before. I feel like they're not the most common thing in the world, but they seem like a sick, like, alternative to throwing something in a barrel where, like, there's much less that can go wrong by putting the spirals in to get almost the same outcome as putting it in a barrel. But then the barrel, you yeah. get bugs and blah, blah, blah that can mess the whole thing up. Right. And, and every barrel aged IPA that I've had has been oxidized. Right. And I feel like that's inevitable when you put beer in a barrel. You know, actually, I don't yeah. feel like that. It is it, it is absolutely inevitable. Right. Um, <laughs> so there's no sense in oxidizing something that is the most oxidation prone beer out there. Right. Like a, a IPA gets a little bit of oxygen. It's wrecked. So, yeah, that's really actually we, tr we tried a barrel aged Pilsner and that sucked too. Okay. Uh, just pick, picked up the same oxygen you would get barrel aging any beer but it just it's so noticeable whereas in a stout or barley wine like they all get oxidized that's part of the character right um, it just gives you that kind of sherry like quality to it mm, yeah that's a good point i have had some really good barrel aged pilsners um all the slightly aged ones and but i feel like i don't know maybe they're blending it or something as well it could be a bit of that. Actually, one of the ones I saw this brewery in Montreal did it, and they was talking about they won awards for it, but it, they did mention it was blended. I guess often they maybe blend it with some young beer as well. And like, did, you know. Was it barrel-aged or fooder-aged? I think they said it was barrel-aged, but the copy was in French, so it might have been fooder. They so have a Obviously, fooder. plenty of people are doing fooder-aged uh, lagers, but the, the difference is like, the surface area exposed to oxygen is like a lot lower in a footer. Gotcha. Um, and also like footers generally are not, like, they're a little bit newer and nicer typically than most barrels are getting, which have already been typically used or beat up a bit something, but yeah. Yeah. Either way though, I love this whole concept. It's great, man. This is like, it's exactly as you described, like super rounded, um, Still got a bit of that sweetness, the multi sweetness at 7% that you would expect, but the bite is reduced. And I feel like, because coming back, we we're talking about gateways obviously earlier. I feel like most people, well, not most, the people that, that say oh, IPAs are too bitter, this is what they're talking about. They're not talking about New England, but it's almost like the characteristics in this beer of a West Coast are there without that over the top side of it. It's almost like a, just a more mellow version of the whole thing. So that it could give people like a less scary, you know, like tasting experience if, if they may be newer to it and intimidated or have had a bad experience in the past. Because West Coast are a bit of a uh, quiet taste, I would I would say. This is great. Yeah, I would appreciate it. I, I think that's exactly correct. But um, if you tried the 
the, the non-oak version, it's substantially better. Okay, so it's a little more intense. This is cool. It's just it's like a fun, just like really fun concept. And once again, though, like I love that. I I really appreciate the selections too. I like that they're two completely different lagers, which in my and like you kind of hit me in my like I was talking when we were talking before as you came back in, Jake, about the the styles I'm drinking more. These are two of the main styles that I'm really loving right now. The West Coasts and because uh, I feel like you just need to balance out the haze. It makes you appreciate the haze more if you have like a West Coast alongside it. Um, oh yeah, for sure. So it's a, a completely different, um, the whole different experience. But um, but the other thing I definitely want to make sure we cover tonight is the obviously the new brewery uh, in DC. But you got the wine, the cider, and the seltzer that you guys have expanded into to make it like a fermentation company, um, which is such a smart move. So yeah, talk us through that, man. Like that's uh, that's great. What's going on with that, guys? Whoever wants to take it. <laughs> like, like Jake said, Lee, talk about it, buddy. Speak to uh, So the uh, fermentation side of it. Um, what, what's fun about that is uh, we started messing around during uh, COVID uh, into making wine, did small batches of that, and low um, intervention style, can't call it natural wine because it's not kind of grapes, but we used local Virginia-grown grapes. And uh, again, um, McKinnon and Brad in the Native Culture Program came up with some pretty good stuff. And like, it, it actually reminded me of the first time I homebrewed beer, I don't know, 15 years ago. And went through the process, tried it, and it didn't suck. And it's like, oh, cool. Let's awesome. let's invest a little bit more into this, and like, we can we can actually make this happen. Um, and it's it's grown into last year's production i think we had like mckinnon and brad did like eight different uh, varietals of wine um cider's been pretty fun too uh very similar low intervention just you, you take the uh apples you crush them ferment it bottle it there you go uh, and, and you're doing all of that in-house too like you're actually making the cider you're getting the apples and making the cider yep yep um and they're pretty fun. Uh, one of the one of the anniversary beers that um, uh, one of the anniversary releases that we ended up doing. Jake did a cider, um, and that had uh, Jake had strawberries and what else with it? So um, strawberries that underwent carbonic maceration. Okay. And then we did a touch of Tahitian vanilla and ginger on top of a, an apple variety called Gold Rush, okay. which is a super bright and kind of zippy um, apple that you can use like 100% Gold Rush and make great cider. And that was a, a collab with um, Graft, Dissolver, and Lost Generation out of DC. Okay, Where's this, is Dissolver from um, like Ash, North Carolina? Yeah. Yeah, Asheville, but uh, they've got a spot opening up um, in, uh, I believe, Raleigh. Uh, okay. They were on my list. We went on the way back through Asheville and Charlotte, and uh, I didn't know. I didn't know it was that fire. That's sick. I didn't get to go to many places, but okay, that's sick, man. And yeah, like, so, so doing collabs with breweries with cider—is it just they were? Did they make it too? All those ones you mentioned, or were they just? Did they just want to contribute to the collab? Yeah. So, so Graft is, uh, you know, um, cider maker that has been doing super cool stuff for a long time. 
Um, and then Dissolver got into cider and wine about the same time that we did. And we're kind of like, I feel like breweries that are like kindred spirits. Um, like uh, Dissolver and Speciation are the two closest breweries to like what we do. Is Speciation um, from Michigan? Yeah. Okay, I know the guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like like we're we're doing very very similar types of exploration, and very so uh, their stuff is is excellent. And then Lost Generation, <laughs> so they they don't make cider, but uh, one of their brewers um, used to work for us, and he was our cider maker. So yeah. naturally, like we want to reach <laughs> yeah. out to him, and be like, hey man, do you want to be involved in, in making this cider? Um, and oh, cool. yeah, we uh, we did that. Um, uh, over the last year and then released it for the anniversary and it turned out great. Um, That's awesome. To probably the best cider we've made. Hell it was yeah. fantastic. Yeah. So like, so, what, yeah, where did all this come from, I guess? Like, the, uh, I mean, was it just like you said during COVID, but like, was it just to like on a whim or just to like, hey, let's try something different or hey, we've got more spare time. Let's do some stuff we've always wanted to do. I think a little bit of the, the spare time are, um, Head Brewer McKinnon, again, had interest in, in making wine, which since 2020, he's really gotten into. He's done some training. He's gone to Portugal. Uh, wow. And, like, he's super into wine, and um, the, his knowledge has grown immensely, and he's, he's visited local wineries in Virginia and picked their brains and, and talked to them about what we're doing. And I, I don't know that Virginia is known uh, for its its wine, um, whether good or, or bad, uh, but they definitely have a wine tourism through the area. And uh, McKinnon's talked to um, folks that grow their own and make their own, and he's he's connected to uh, connected with a, a winery that's makes very good, grows very good grapes, and also makes very good good wine. And try to learn from them and talk and you know kind of. Uh, echo chamber uh, off of different techniques and, and uh, methods and diving into something that really no one in our area uh, has been doing. Um, and natural, natural wine is kind of a, a niche, trendy um, uh, sub-market of the, of the wine. But what's really fun is when we opened up DC, we were able to open up with a extremely beautiful um, 3,000 square foot um, uh, space that has uh, 20 foot tall ceilings, um, very airy, natural light, um, nice uh, stone countertops with 30 taps, four looper tap, uh, side poles, two beer engines. Um, and with with the name Cooked Run Fermentation, and so we were, you know, we've been in D.C. distributing beer and doing uh, tap takeovers and, and beer dinners there. Um, no, I wouldn't say it was a huge presence, but um, going there with this beautiful uh, new brand with offering wine, cider, seltzer, in addition to the beer, it really. And this beautiful space, I think it really helped us uh, stand out. And I'm very proud of what we have to offer because DC is very receptive to London Ridge and wine. And so you don't, in Northern Virginia, you have to educate 
And then before you can sell in DC, it was a lot easier. You don't have to do the education. You just have to tell people, you know, what you have and they'd be more interested in, in trying it. So um, the same with the cider, like people get that breweries can have more than just beer uh, in DC. So it's a, it's a very cool market that we're, we're in. And again, like I was saying, Jake and I uh, bartend there and it's, it's a lot of fun to get back to our roots with, you know, being behind the bar, connecting with customers, pouring beer, wine, whatever it is, and being able to, you know, specifically for Jake, like have an idea, take an idea, brew the beer slash wine, and then be on the, the other side of the counter as he hands it to a customer and like see that kind of full circle. It's, it's been a very difficult, um, 10 years of, of growth and dealing with the pandemic and things like that and being able to see the smile on people's faces as you, you hand them a, a, a glass of beer that they haven't had before you get them um, into a sour beer that they really enjoy it, it it brings it home to why you end up why you do this why we do this and it's it's wonderful feeling that's awesome yeah so exactly what he's talking about like um connecting with the customer and like doing the you know the final point of sale uh usually like if you're involved in production like you're not front of house and you're not really like is kind of just the the sad state of things but like you a lot of times if you're back house you have frustration with the customer and like how they perceive your product and stuff but i think it's really important to actually get out there and like Talk. serve the the beer or wine to the customer and get their feedback and connect with them. Um, mm. And when we opened, uh, Lee and I did like all the bartending, okay. uh, all of it. Um, we hired our first bartender for Sundays after like six months of being open. Um, and so like to his point, I was super happy like two months ago, there was a customer who I she expressed interest in the wine. I said, do you like natural wine? And she said, yeah. And, and she said, I'm interested in your orange wine. So, uh, if you're unaware, orange wine, is just skin contact Chardonnay. Um, no oranges involved. It's just like, it gets a darker color from having uh, contact with the grape skins. And I told her that, and she, she said, is it good? And I said, do you like Georgian, like the country, Georgia, do you like Georgian, uh, orange wine? And she said, yes. And I said, then you're going to like this a lot. And I poured some for her and she said, this is great. I'll take a whole bottle. And that makes me feel super happy because, you know, when people get what we're trying to do, which is not all the time. And, and, you know, like not everybody's like that into analyzing what they drink, but when you get somebody that like, you know, sees what you're putting out and it's giving you nice feedback. It's just the best feeling. Mm -hmm. Uh, totally, man. And I think it's even cooler for you guys that you're getting this feedback on a product that you're not known for primarily. Like this is your like secondary venture as far as the wine side of seltzer and stuff. Like, you know, you're a brewery, but you're also doing all of this stuff. So for people to react that uh, positively to the newer stuff must be uh, even cooler, which is like, like I applaud you guys so much for doing this it's funny that you mentioned the other breweries that were doing winery the the first time i saw it was at burial in um, Asheville, and they made their own wine and my girlfriend i was telling lee while you were 
transiting uh, Jake that my girlfriend has sort of more chilled on uh, drinking beer and obviously I'm dragging her to breweries. So she's been drinking a lot of seltzers and, and other stuff and, and the American, the breweries in the States were so welcoming to all other palates to, for different things. And I liked that Berry was the first one I saw that made their own um, wine. So it's interesting that you named a bunch of others that did the same thing. So that sounds like it's, uh, including you guys, which it sounds like it's a bit of a, uh, I guess, a sort of somewhat of a trend, which I think is a fantastic trend because it's taking, yeah, it's taking a bre- the brewing business to the fermentation business, all things fermentation, hence the, the name change for you guys. Um, what are the aspirations that you guys have for the, the new categories, uh, you know, wine, wine, seltzer and um, cider? Well, so the main thing is like, obviously like we have a lot to learn from other winemakers, but we also have some stuff that we know how to do. Um, so when we started making wine, the impetus was like, we all enjoy natural wine. And we also had been already fermenting a lot of fruit, not grapes, but a lot of different fruit to blend into mix from beers. So we know a lot of, of fermentation techniques and kind of more of the science winemaking obviously can get super scientific, but a lot of it is based on tradition. Um, and I, I ha- do think that like we brought some stuff to the table. Um, like we know, I'll just give an example, right? This is a really broad example. So, so many winemakers talk about terroir and the effects on the wine, but they won't admit that part of that is that the wine isn't a hundred percent clean. And what I mean by that is like, they don't want to admit that like there's Britannomyces in their wine. Right. I mean, Brett, Brett is like, you know, that's seen as a major, major flaw in wine. And I, I mean, if you taste like some Bordeaux and some other wines, like they're not clean. And I mean, we, when we've looked, when we've looked at our clean beers that have been in barrels, we found tons of Brett cells. Now they were inactive because the, the beer was such high ABV and, you know, had already been fermented out when it went in the barrel. But like, if you put, if you put anything in wood, you are getting some wild yeast and you may be getting some bacteria too. The thing is like, we know how to deal with that stuff because we've been working with, with it for a long time. Right. Um, and we know how to, to coax some of those good flavors because the reason why like Brett, I, I'm, this is my opinion, but it has a bad rap and, and, you know, wine and, and beer, uh, is, can be really bad when it shows up, uh, it's unwanted, but if it's not treated right, you get some really nasty flavors, but if it is treated right and you know what you're working with, you can get these amazing flavors where like you get just crazy, like mango or star fruit flavors, kind of, you know, raspberry jam, stuff like that. And like because we're doing all all lower intervention wine like we want that stuff um now if you give it to somebody that's like just a you know 30 30 years of drinking you know big oaky chardonnays and jammy cabs they're not gonna like it right um and because it's so radically different my uh, actually my dad is is one of those people um i gave him uh for his birthday two years ago, I gave him this bottle uh, of wine from an incredible natural winemaker. Uh, it's uh, two guys. They're called Yeti and the Coconut, and their stuff is just amazing. 
And I gave him a bottle for his birthday. I asked him, you know, maybe a month later, what'd you think of that? And he was like, um, uh, I, I said, did you, did you notice the like cherry Gatorade flavor to it? And he's like, yeah, uh, <laughs> didn't really like that. And to me, that was like the point of it. But if you are, you know, used to just very traditional, like wine spectator, James Suckling, highly rated wine, like you're not going to like that. Gotcha. So it's a, just a different approach, but really though, my immediate thought without obviously seeing or trying it was that it would probably speak to more of the people who are coming there for the beer because I don't know, like if I'm going there for beer, I'm I'm ready for an exploration. I'm ready for a journey. I'm ready. You got so you got thirty taps. That is so crazy. Um, like at the DC, like like if I'm coming in there, I want to try a bunch of stuff, and I feel like my argument, maybe you got you guys can speak to it more, but like would a beer consumer? be more inclined to be like whoa this is reminds me of a you know a, a farmhouse with raspberries and cherries or something like you know like is that kind of more what it is and maybe the, and the natural obviously aside from natural wine people which is a whole subset but would you say the beer consumer is a little more open to like the newer more unique stuff yeah a hundred percent um and i'm so happy that you brought that up because like that has been something that's been really, really nice about doing this yeah. is like exactly what you said. Like somebody who drinks mixed firm sour beer is totally down with this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're going to notice the same flavors that they like in those wines. Right. I mean, some of these wines have acidity to them. And you're, you're going to get that when when you have, you know, lactobacillus and other stuff acting on the wine. Um and as long as it's not unpleasant, it can be really nice. Yeah. Um, it can make something that's crisper and just has a greater depth of flavor. And then cider, uh, absolutely, man. Um, so there is a, a cider maker in Maryland. Um, it's actually, uh, it's, I brought up Graft before. So um, it's a, a brother and sister that are the owners and operators of, of Graft. And uh, their dad, had a cidery called Millstone. Um, and Lee and I love Millstone stuff back in the day. And, you know, it was mixed firm cider. Uh, and it was like, if you closed your eyes, you thought it was sour beer. Oh, yeah. um, it's c- crazy stuff. Um, and the anniversary cider that we were talking about and some of the other ones we've done, like it, it was a dead ringer for the stuff they used to make. So super cool doing that. And, love seeing people into it but yeah it definitely takes somebody who's more open-minded and adventurous to, to be down with that hmm. the enjoyment that you guys get out of it though it seems like it's like i'm just sort of like trying to look at it from you guys perspective being a successful brewery for 10 years like and by the way congrats on 10 years like that is i probably interviewed a, a half a dozen breweries who have been open for that long and I'm probably exaggerating now I think about it. Like, it's really not that common. Like, that is a huge um, achievement in and of itself. So I can imagine for you guys, like, moving into something fun and different, yet, like, aligned, like cider, wine, seltzers, must be, like, it almost, like, is it, like, reinvigorating? Like, the passion, obviously, you haven't lost any passion for beer. I can tell both of you are super, super, like, this is your shit. This is your livelihood. But, like... 
I guess it like, makes it like fun again, eh? Because it's new and you're discovering and you're making mistakes and then fixing it and then getting these new consumers and then, you know, it must just make this whole journey much more fun. Yes. Um, what has happened in the last five years, four years, as Jake and I have, you know, moved away from being so involved in like, in 2013, Jake and, you know, Jake and I used to make the beer. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I had a full-time job and I would come in on Saturday and Sunday and we would do projects while we're making a big batch of beer and a small batch of beer and we'd be hustling and, and doing all that. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun when you got your hands in it and you're, you're very involved in this. As the company grew, we got less attached to doing the, the direct brewing of the beer uh, and more of the operation of the business. And then, I, I mean, we've, we've talked about the pandemic so much tonight, but it's the, the pandemic really forced us to being, to driving the, you know, the ship um, with having, you know, the 40 employees. And uh, I think we're up to like 60, 70 employees now. Yeah. And we, we continue, so cool. we have the, the, the livelihood of so many people um, that we have to consider when we make decisions nowadays. You know, it's, it's, it, it's, it's different and it's difficult and it's very special. Uh, but being behind the bar and, and connecting with customers, again, just gives you that reassurance of like, you're doing the right thing. You're, you know, you're, you're doing what you like to do and making people happy with the products that you make, the things that you enjoy to drink, you get to share and, you know, to see the smile on the people's face when they're tried orange wine for the first time. Uh, we went on a little come in and now they have a new style of wine that they've just discovered because of us. Like it's, it's very cool. You, you, you're connecting with humans. And that yeah. was all about. Mate, I couldn't agree more. I mean, that's really what everyone's going there for. And like, I feel like some of the friendliest people ever are in breweries. I feel like the, you want to, you know, particularly when, when it's, you know, you boys are both front facing at, at, at the DC location, knowing that people could come in and like actually speak directly to the owner and get the story behind every product and the, the company itself and so on and so forth. And like all of that is a part of the experience that people are looking for, I think. And I, I can't remember, we were touching on it earlier about experience is really what it's all about now. Like, cool, I can buy the cans in damn near Key West, but like there's probably nothing that's going to touch the experience of going into one of the three spaces and actually like drinking from there and eating the food and like taking in the vibes and stuff. And I've, that's the thing I've loved the most since everything opened back up. Like I was saying, Canada was a little wild, so we didn't get to do stuff for a while. Um, so it's only been like 18 months for me of doing stuff again. And it's taken a bit to get back into the habit like life's been crazy but it's been like i've been loving it getting back out exploring going to a tap room just looking around like yeah man look at these people vibe and like everything's great like it's really cool and i think it sort of speaks to like something that we want to touch on earlier like you know like you guys obviously are seeing where beer is going and i feel like 
I was saying to you guys off off camera that we did a podcast earlier in the year where um, we were talking about the future of craft beer and or at least craft breweries. And it seems like to me what you guys are doing is exactly what essentially every brewery probably should be doing, where it's almost like a fail safe where you got the beer covered, you got wine, you got seltzer, you got cider, you got all the, you know, the the multiple um location experience the food like the whole thing and just sort of it's almost like hedging your bets but not letting anything slide in in the future to make sure that you're a fermentation business like you guys changed the name of your company for that reason which i think is fantastic um is i imagine that's where you guys see this going like basically what the summary of what i what i'm getting at is that the articles and um and news stories that i watched for our podcast just to see what people were saying were that breweries need to be sort of in the essentially they didn't use that word but like fermentation business like they need to be in the beverage business where you're making kombucha non-alcoholic beer seltzers and probably non-alcoholic the plus alcoholic version and cider and wine and beer and blah 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 like basically you're making just liquid um where do you guys see the future of craft breweries at this particular point, whether it's in Virginia or, you know, nationally, globally? I So I've been thinking a lot about this over the last two days because there's an article in, in Pace Magazine that came out that's pretty good that talked about what's going on in craft beer right now. Um, okay. And I think it was very, very well written. But uh, I basically, I don't think it's so much about like, necessarily like making wine or cider or whatever everybody's got to find their niche uh no matter who you are and if your niche is like you are you know the end all be all of hazy ipas that can really work for you um but there can't be too many people out there like that um same for every style um you can be an incredible farm brewery you can be just a really really great neighborhood brewery you can be a brewery that's almost like a dive bar um there's many different ways to pay the bills and to you know keep a a customer base um but for us we've been around for 10 years and now you know we're about to renew a lease for another 10 years so we're thinking like you know how are we going to be around for another decade Mm. um when we started this you know, there was limitless possibilities. I never thought, like, all I wanted to do when, when we opened was make an IPA as good as Ballast Point Sculpin. And I thought Wisflatron 12 was, like, the best beer in the world. And I've met those goals of making beer, like, in those same, you know, ballpark quality levels and stuff. So that's been super cool. But, um, I don't think any small breweries are striking it rich um, and they're not going to. So what do you do to, to last and be something that's like, you know, a positive thing in people's lives and you can pay all your bills and take care of your employees and all these other things. And I think it just really comes down to like, what do you do to just be attractive to the right group of people? And some of that's marketing, some of that's like, I'm not discounting beer quality, but like, I feel like that's a given at this point. Like you should be making good beer, obviously, mm-hmm. but, um, you need to be doing uh, a host of other things. And for us, like 
Yeah, I mean, it's super cool that we make cider now, and our cider's really freaking good. Like, it's, I I love cider. Drank a lot of cider. Um, I can give our cider to somebody that drinks Angry Orchard, and they're probably going to be okay with it because it's just so approachable, even though it's mixed from cider. Um, but that's not necessarily the solution to everybody. Like, right. you've got to figure it out. You can be a brewery that, that makes nothing but, you know, English-style beers and, you know, does a ton of cast stuff, and you find your niche. But for us, like, we have always been, like, community-focused, and we make good beer, and we make a variety of beers, and we deliver them in a, a fun environment. And I think that's worked for us, and we're going to keep doing that. Um for the breweries that are not doing those things, there might be a tough road ahead. Um, I think that everybody should kind of evaluate like why they got into this. Lee and I have poured our heart and soul into this. Um, it is our lives. And it's been that way for a long time. Um, we have a brewery opening up like stones throw away huge facility they're putting a ton of money into it and i i don't really know the owner but i don't know whether he's that type of person um i talked to my friend about this a year ago if you're getting into this industry now and you haven't planned a vacation around craft beer i don't think you're really cut out for it hmm. like if you haven't gone somewhere and said these are the breweries i'm gonna hit if you don't have a clear idea of where your beer is going to be sold, whether it's distribution or your tap room or whatever, like I, I just don't see it. And, you know, I'm not trying to be, you know, defensive or, or pessimistic. It's just, it's a truth. Like you got to figure out who you're going to be to what people. Um, and you know, it, I used to keep a blog for the brewery um, since 2013 and around our 10 year anniversary, I went back and I looked at all the old blog posts and it made me really happy to see that like the same stuff that we're doing today, all that groundwork was laid 10 years ago. Hmm. And I don't mean to say we haven't adapted, but like the idea was always there. Um, and I think that's super important. I mean, the the expression like, you know, keep your head on a swivel or like wherever you look, you're going to go. It's true. Mm. So, I, you know, like I said before, um, we want a fun environment with really good beer that offers something for everybody. That's kind of our niche and that's kind of broad, but I think that that has worked really well for us. and. You know, if we can keep doing that, we'll be okay. Hell yeah. I think um, it's important for breweries to be true to themselves. Uh, some of the breweries that we respect in the Northern Virginia area, um, we like the people, and therefore we like the beer, and the beer is good. And therefore, we like the experience. And we've talked a lot about the experience and finding your niche and things like that. 
connecting with your consumer is a very important thing that people really need to breweries really need to dial in like if you're passionate and you can deliver that passion through your product through your experience at your tasting room however you're gonna get loyal customers because they're going to want to because they believe in more than just this tastes good they believe in these are good people i want i want this to be around and i um i think you're going to see those people do fine um as long as they can keep their head above water and and you know be true to themselves and keep chugging along there's gonna be a lot of breweries that get tired um to jake's point of like anyone that is in this industry that is i mean jake and i are still pretty young we we opened our brewery when we were 25. um so most brewery owners they open when they're 55 or older because that's what you know it's their retirement and if they're facing the same difficulties that we are they're not going to want to put in the time and effort to pivot and keep your head on a swivel and adjust like they're either going to close or i I don't know just say stay small and make it just their an extension of a place for them and their friends to 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 drink but um you're definitely going to see a little bit more uh calling of the herd and um as far as what is the the future of craft beer hold i don't know and if anyone tells you that we know well they they know what they might be doing uh but it's it's very difficult to to know because like i wish 10 years ago that we could go hey this is what the trend's going to be in three years you know hazy ipas let's start making them now this is the next <laughs> rooted sours pastry stouts like it certainly there have been people that uh, breweries that have um, paved the way for that um and i think there's going to be some other breweries that paved the way for the next style hype thing whatever it is um and then you're going to see people following behind that but in in the meantime if you can still you know stay true to yourself at the core and offer a good experience i mean that's what's going to get you through these tough times hell yeah man you guys drop gems i i don't I agree with everything you both said. Like, I really feel like that's it. The, the, the breweries that are going to survive are going to just have to figure it out and find what works for them. Like you said, like the niche and then, which is funny, we say niche in up here, but I always find niche is a funny word. The, and then on top of that, yeah, it's just like finding that, like, it's almost like that mix that works for you, whether mix of experience, Plus offerings, whether that offering is beer, wine, cider, seltzer, um, etc., um, and and just we're we're at this. I was saying to to the boys off air that I feel like we're at this weird pinnacle where like the 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 economy we're in, it's almost like beers had such a good run. Like I got into it 
a crooked run, some might say. I got in at uh, around 2011 when I started doing the stupid selfie review things. And seeing it in the last 12 years has been pretty interesting and the way that it's changed. I feel like I got in before beer was cool and then beer became slowly cooler and then it peaked and then shit hit the fan and then we're sort of at, a, at maybe we went too crazy. Like we, there was a beer mm-hmm. boot. You guys were way before that. Excuse me. And so many breweries have opened up since. When you started, how many breweries are in the States? Uh, I think when we started, I want to say either 4,000 or 6,000. And what are we at? 9K? And uh, uh, close to 10K. I think it, at the peak, it went above 10K. Fuck, and now it's a, a hair shy of that. But Okay. So, like, if you look at that, like, that's a pretty crazy amount. In Canada, is a fraction of that, but it's similar, not like, ratios as far as, like, the, the, the growth level. And, like, I just really feel like you know maybe we all haven't lived through it aside from 2008 like I, I was working at a bank in australia and i lost my job because of what happened in the states so like i got paid out pretty well so i wasn't mad but like you know it, it's it has these global things so right now this global shit whether you i don't know if it's a recession or the interest rates or the um inflation or all of this stuff we're at this weird peak where maybe there's been too many breweries some might say to service a clientele that isn't growing like you know be like maybe it's you know that's what i've heard anyway the 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 beer, the, the, what the drinkers i guess and the size of that is not currently growing but they are like gen z apparently isn't drinking that much and i feel like it's maybe it's because of health conscious stuff hence i think things like wine and seltzer and cider which are significantly less calories than beer being a more attractive option but if the same company that offers the beer can offer those things, then everyone's happy. So I don't know. Like to me, that's what you guys are doing seems like the blue, uh, blueprint to the best way to sort of make it forward until, you know, like, you know, we're, we're at that peak where we're, we're cruising down and eventually it'll hit a point and then we'll just come right back again where all the maybe, you know, trim the fat as such. The, the, the companies that maybe weren't bent, meant for it, that weren't really innovating, that weren't doing anything exceptional, that weren't serving their community aren't going to make it through. And, and that's quite sad because obviously, you know, a lot of we've lost one really important brewery here uh, is gone out of business now, which has been really devastating for Ontario specifically. And I know we're going to see a lot more of that, whether it's sort of like, you know, different varieties, different styles and types of breweries. But it's going to be super interesting to see what happens. Beer is such a strange, unique little world that got massive. And now we, we haven't seen this before. We had never saw a beer boom until the last five, six years. And now we're seeing the other side of it. We don't know what happens. And I feel like you guys are doing what... If, if I owned a brewery, we, my partner and I have a social media agency. We've owned that for like eight and a half years. So we're sort of in the... I very much respect entrepreneurs, particularly cats like you guys who were young. Like I'm older than you guys. Now you told me your age, like you doing that shit at 25, bro. Get the fuck out of here. That is crazy doing that and rolling the dice and being successful at this. And then also seeing the future and be like, yo, we want to get into this, 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 and this that's hedging your bets. I think that's the best case scenario. If I was in your position, that's exactly what I would do. I think that's 
by far the best move. And I think if breweries are able to do it, like you said, though, following finding your niches I think is super important. But I still think that you got to investigate these different areas. Like, you know, there's going to be some breweries that are going to be able to make it off hazy IPAs and more power to them. But, you know, if that's not your shit, you know, who knows how long that's going to reign supreme? Who knows? It's been longer than probably most of us thought. Yeah, here we are in 2023. It's been six years at least since they've been like top of the game. But yeah, I don't know. This is fascinating hearing you guys really like talk about it and, and see where it can all go. It's cool. I don't know. It's fun and scary and weird and strange all at the same time. Well, so I'm, I'm pretty much an open book. And when it comes to, to this stuff, like this is probably the most forward I, I've been talking about it. Um, I appreciate that. With somebody who's not another owner. But it's kind of high time that all of us started being real about this. Um, there's you know, the last seven years has had some incredible highs and some really cool stuff. But like I said before, like, I feel like this is a blip, you know, in an otherwise, like, and it's an industry that's been, existed for a thousand years. Yeah, and probably. Yeah. like, it's, it's probably going to continue similar to the other, you know, uh, 1800 years that it, it was before. So I just feel like, you know, uh, for, for us at least, um, having a clear idea of all these things and not having any illusions about anything, um, and having the experience too is, is going to help us. Um, and yeah, I, th I think that there's always going to be people that want to, you know, drink craft beer, but the, the last, the last seven years has had some real craziness. I mean, you've seen some stuff like I, when I've, when I've checked, uh, on tap before, like some of the highest rated beers are really, really tiny breweries making smoothie sours, um, that like 10 people drink and like, that's just not sustainable. No, you know, like as, as a, an industry or something that, that drives an industry like it's just not so yeah i'm i'm happy that we always made a variety of beers and that we can like the the american pale ale that i mentioned earlier we've been making that since 2013. um we haven't like we pivoted towards more of these like regular type beers but this isn't us like you know pulling this stuff out of thin air we've always been doing this we're just doing it more now uh, we made we made hype styles when that was what people wanted, but now that that's you know not in vogue anymore, we're gonna make the stuff that kind of got us into brewing beer. Um, mm -hmm. More of that stuff, um, and again, like just ultimately, like as long as the beer is like decent, what people really want is they want a fun time with friends, and we have three locations. One of which is our original spot, which is essentially a dive bar that brews stone beer. It took a major hit during the pandemic because it's so tiny that people didn't want to hang out in an enclosed space, um, you know, with low ceilings that was 600 square feet. But now it's doing better than ever because people want a place that like has like, you know, hardcore bands playing 
on the weekends and, you know, has that shoulder to shoulder feel in it. Mm. Like it's great to have that kind of diversity. And honestly, I think if we ever did another location, it would be something like that where, you know, it's like one or two bartenders and they're just pouring beer. Um, and beer is good, but it's not so much about that. It's more about like just having a really fun time. So, yeah. Yeah, man. I know, Lee, did you have something to add to? I know you, were, you guys were jumping in. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, so in America, um, there was already a craft beer boom in, what, Jake, the 70s or 80s? Yeah, no, I, it's a great point. Yeah, I mean, we this is the, the third craft beer boom, so yeah. it's nothing new. I mean, yeah, so so you had the, the kind of 80s, early 90s one where you had okay. like um, Sierra Nevada, uh, Pete's Wicked Ale, other stuff like that, um, and that crested and broke, and then you had one that kind of broke around uh, 2000, um, and then you had another one, uh, kind of mini crash with like, green flash um and uh you know not necessarily like a uh crash but all the the west coast breweries that that built east coast plants Mm -hmm. um and then didn't really end up using them um so yeah sorry continue um so greg to 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 your point of we haven't seen this before we have seen this before and so basically what happens is and you can go back hundreds and hundreds of years. Like there's, I, I think in Richmond, um, the first canned beer came out of Richmond or something like that, but the brewery doesn't exist anymore. And you look at um, big breweries, Anchor, Steam, more recently, um, Ballast Point, like brewery, breweries at this point, I would say from this point, moving on, the reason that they close is because a brewery is a business and they're going to get mismanaged, whether they're not keeping up with the trends, they're not listening to the consumers, they're not making adjustments, they're making poor business decisions. A brewery is a business at the end of the day. And to, to big point, West Coast breweries, Green Flash, opening up on the East Coast, they overextended themselves. They got too ambitious, couldn't handle financially. And collapse like cash flow is uh, cash is king and cash flow is very important to sustain a business. And um, what I was saying earlier is like Jake and I don't necessarily brew the beer as much as we used to, but we're more involved in the business side of it than ever before. And we that's primarily what we we talk about. So I agree with you. I think there is going to be what we're going to see is we're going to see more breweries close primarily because they're mismanaged and then what's going to happen on the other side and when it's going to happen that i could not tell you other than the breweries that are able to stick around previously what happened like in the united states there's never been ten thousand breweries and as far as it's crazy the um opening and there's still breweries that are opening as we speak. The number of breweries opening and the number of breweries closing, I think there's maybe slightly more closing than opening, 
Dang. But we're still going to be around nine, ten thousand breweries again, which we've never seen in you know the nineties, the two thousands, um, the early twenty ten before everything uh, like popped off. So there's going to be breweries that close, but what happens after that? I don't think we're going to go to twenty thousand breweries. Like that's just going to be bonkers if that happens. That's like the Starbucks of craft beer but who knows where the bottom's going to be you know of of what the the closing is going to be for the market to um craft beer market to be able to sustain itself like craft beer there's no doubt that craft beer has made it into everyday life right that's not going to go away it's just going to be how many how many breweries can manage within that footprint locally regionally um, across the country things like that and that comes down to business savvy um, and and what you're doing to uh, make yourself known so that some of the articles that jake and i have been sharing with each other primarily the the larger companies um, that rely on being solely in grocery stores having you know across the country distribution um those are going to be suffering a lot all the way down to you know we primarily sell most of our beer uh, in the tap room like we have the ability to shrink a little bit but we're still going to be primarily selling it out of the tap room because we're focused more on local rather than large distribution and from the articles that we've read um it says that we're going to be able to survive longer than the the larger breweries focused more on, on distribution because although there are less of them, they're still going to they're still competing with local craft breweries. So at wherever that brewery started, that would be their local market. But if they're across fifty states. The further away you get from your home market, the least control you have over um, that market, and you're competing against those local markets. And so, strength is going to be uh, consumers should have more loyalty and strength towards those smaller local markets. So you kind of shrink things back to where you are. And if you've invested yourself to be too bloated to large and you can't handle it and you've taken out loans to open up an east coast production you're going to go bankrupt because you don't have any money Mm. Uh, so yeah i have heard something about that about like it all coming back to local like that um you know the original idea of a brew pub is to serve the local community and that was the point and then it just got bigger and bigger and the footprint got larger as i guess beer itself grew so that's I I couldn't agree more. I feel like it's just really coming back to that, and maybe I feel like it's all all of the things we talked about tonight. I feel like we hit on a whole bunch of really important things, like the the reemergence and the importance of flagship beers, to that reliability, that localness, the 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 brewery that's serving the community. So you're like, well, this is my local, and they've got Heart and Soul IPA that I love, and every time they do it, they've done that for X years and I know that every batch gets better and better and it's going to be fire every time I go by. Um, 
I just feel like that is becoming a, a valuable thing for consumers. And, and I feel like in the, at least in the short term, that's what we're going to come back down to. And, and I think also, I don't know, I just, I really believe like that was the last trip. We were in the States for about five weeks and, and like, I just, I don't know. I just, I believe that that's where it's going. Like the, um, the, the local side, but also like the, the, uh, the depth of offering or the breadth, I'm sorry, of offerings, knowing that you can get beer, but you can serve all of your community. And like, instead of going like, oh, if we're having a work outing or a bunch of us are going out for a birthday, instead of going to a brewery, because I'm the beer guy, I don't want to drag everyone to a brewery. So let's just go to a bar where they got a half decent tap list and then everyone can, but no, I could go to an actual brewery that I want to go to, yet everyone else is equally served. I just think that is such the future. And I was very much convinced of that in this last trip. And then hearing about what you guys are doing in DC um, just solidifies that. And I just feel like I'm seeing more and more of that. And I think if breweries aren't emulating that, like they're just missing out on, it's like you can be local and still be niche, but also serve the wider community as well. And then you don't have to necessarily rely on that beer tourism. That maybe that, that could be looked at as a bonus, particularly like you guys were saying that maybe Northern Virginia isn't looked at is, is, would you count Richmond as Northern Virginia or is that not, is that become like central central? Oh, definitely not. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like, I feel like obviously that's known as like the, is that true? The, that's the beer capital of Virginia. Is that accurate? Um, or not necessarily. I, uh, <laughs> uh, Richmond has some for- very good breweries. Um, uh, I think Northern Virginia has some very good breweries as well. Um, well, so there's not like a, 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 like universally like agreed upon, like, I just think Virginia as a whole is fire. Like I'm just, I'm just enamored by the whole region, but like, there's no like, you know, like Toronto in Ontario has the concentration of breweries. So like, you know, that's the spot. Is that, that's not necessarily a thing out there as much? I, the thing is like, like this is not me speaking as a Northern Virginia brewery owner, just from an objective quality point. I think that most people outside of Virginia or maybe even in Virginia would say Richmond is probably the bigger beer. Richmond's like a city, home? you know? So no, like, no. yeah, naturally it's a city and also a really cool city. Like it's going to have that going on for it. Gotcha. But in terms of, of the beers available today, like I definitely think Northern Virginia um, has just as good beer available. Um, yeah. Good. Like, and I think that's pretty objective. Like we, we have, you know, a multitude of good breweries, um, you know, a really good farm brewery here. Um, it, when it comes to any particular style, like, I think we're putting out stuff that's just as good. So, but yeah, uh, Richmond is definitely a place that, like, if you're a beer tourist, you can hit and hit, like, more breweries in a smaller footprint. So, Gotcha. Gotcha. That's the difference. Okay. Either way though, I don't know. I just feel like it's, I don't know, as much as maybe some of the coverage might be pessimistic for the future of beer, I feel like at, at worst, it's like temporary. Like, I think you guys feel obviously feel the same or you wouldn't have invested into a third location and, and multiple other avenues, you know, with the beer wine, sorry, the wine seltzer and, um, and cider. 
don't know. I just feel like it's cool. And I feel like what you're doing, may, it's like exciting to see what you guys are doing specifically because it shows that like, hey, we're like bullish on this shit and we're going like, we're going all in on all of this stuff and we're hitting everybody and we're making all of our fermented products, A1 fire, our experiences fire. The food is killer and I definitely can speak to that as well on top of the beer. I don't know, man. It's just really cool. I feel I'm just really happy for you guys, and I appreciate you, man. This is this is fantastic. Um, I feel like we really like got like a solid perspective on all of this. This is great. That's like such a like I don't know. It's such a cool growth since the last chat. Thank you, and and uh, I'll just say one last thing. Um, yeah, man. So what with DC, like DC is doing really well, uh, and it is in a um neighborhood that hasn't fully arrived yet um but it's already doing well and it's less than a year open um our leesburg location is doing better than ever the, the location that is feeling that this you know same blues that is affecting the beer industry is our production location and that's right. because it's in a warehouse space and that is just kind of harder to sell to people these days but if you look at like if I'll ask you a question. Yeah. If you know, ten years ago or fifteen years ago, you had a friend that said, Hey man, um, do you want to come drink some uh some very expensive beer with me uh in a warehouse and we're gonna sit on patio furniture and there's no food and no music and um yeah, you wanna come do that? You would say like absolutely not. And craft beer became this like really really you know huge phenomenon that drew people to a place where like yeah you would go to an office park and you would drink beer and an office park setting and, and you do all that because you really liked it um but now things are kind of swinging back towards like yeah location is actually important you need to be in a place with actual foot traffic um uh, and you need to be a fun place like you know, like I said, like our dive bar-esque location is doing really well. Like people like that aspect of it. Um, so it's not really anything surprising. It's just like, you know, the natural kind of tendency of, of customers is to want something like that. Um, mm. So the DC location is kind of similar. It's like a really cool area um, that is needing something like that. So you know, our, our main location is the place that brews the beer for the other spots. Um, but yeah, like it's just kind of only natural. Like people are not necessarily going to want to go to, you know, an office park and turn out for beer releases and stay in line and stuff. And, and that's fine. Um, hmm. it's a more mature beer market now. Hmm. Yeah. That's an interesting point, man. I'm just trying to think. As you were saying, I was just picturing what I'd done recently, and I could picture myself. I'd been to a bunch of breweries in office parks, and whilst maybe it's a little strange driving up, you're like, where am I going? But like, I don't know. You maybe you get used to it after a while. But for the newer consumer, it's pretty weird to pull up. You know, where a bunch of manufacturing or telemarketing companies like a, a, a base, and then all of a sudden is this like brewery with all this stuff. Like it's. I feel like it might be a little more acceptable, but it doesn't make it less weird, I guess. But I see what oh, you're it's, saying. It's like, not necessarily about weirdness. It's 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 more like you're not going to have people walking by. 
Okay. You know? So you're talking just the, the people that come. I understand. Yeah, like the, the people that come, like they they're into it, and their friends, like once they get there, are like, oh, this is cool. But yeah, yeah. you're not gonna have. Five years ago, you would have people like, oh my god, I have to go to a craft brewery. Like, let me look up what ones are near me. Now it's more like, yeah, like you you do need to depend more on people like just happening by your place. Gotcha. And that's a little tougher in those locations. Completely understood. Destination versus this kind of like, you know, in, in the neighborhood type of thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, but you guys have got a diversification of locations as well. And then experiences at the three locations, are, you know, even though I've only been to one, the, the sounds of it, the three different ones are entirely different. So it's, you know, servicing multiple communities in different ways. And yet, once again, it comes still, I still feel like it's still hedging your bets, which is the smartest move in, in this economy to, to have these different experiences that appeal to different people. And, you know, you never know, like it's good to have the production facility, I guess, is paying its way by feeding the, the other two locations with the liquid that it needs. So it's, um, yeah. you know, it's still cool. And once again, though, I mean, even just to like sit back, like you said, you're looking at the blog post, but like just looking back at 10 years, I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty crazy. And I guess you got to be proud and, and like, be like, man, like we did this, like, this is pretty sick. Like whatever happens, we did 10 years and I don't know the number of how many breweries get to that milestone. It's pretty sig It's, it's not insignificant at all. Like I, I, I don't know for the amount of people I talk to and, the, the tabs that I keep on everything, I just don't think there's that many breweries that are uh, around for that long. So it's like, you're doing something right, yeah. boys. You know, it's, it's it's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, no, I agree. And I we, we want to do 20 years. So let's uh, go. We're in it to win it. And let's go. yeah, um, uh, it's going to be a different next decade for sure. But uh, it's all cyclical. So, you know, exactly. Uh, yeah. We'll ride the wave out. Um, my my laptop's about to die. And no, I'm that's it. I was going to wrap. No, no, no. We were, I want to wrap up anyway because I'm super conscious of the time. I know we said like two and it's been like 3.15 almost. Um, but this has been such a dope convo, boys. Um, let me just take, I'm going to take the thumbnail real quick. I'm just going to take a screenshot of the thing. Do you guys want to hold up some uh, cans? We'll just sub yeah. in for that. There we go. Do you have white oak? I'll hold up. Get that, get that lager days in the labor days. I'm sorry. Beautiful. There you guys, like, get that face, get that pretty face in there. All right, three, two, one. Champion. Um, I'm gonna wrap this up on air, and then just stick around off air, and uh, hopefully your laptop will last, and we'll, we'll say goodbye. But uh, boys, once again, seriously, thank you so much for your time. This has been genuinely dope. I've enjoyed this conversation thoroughly. Um, beers were spectacular. Genuinely. It's been really cool to catch back up and see what's been happening. I'm um, super, super happy for you guys, man. Thank you both for your time and for, for, for hanging out with me tonight. Where can everybody find Crooked Run online? Or in real life? CrookedRunFermentation.com. Okay. Everything's there. On social? Uh, Crooked Run Fermentation on Instagram. And uh, if you were ever traveling out of Dulles Airport, uh, we are five minutes away. If you are in DC, we're definitely worth checking out there. Um, there's a lot of really good breweries and there's a really good one. Um, some friends of ours, uh, the brewery I mentioned earlier, Lost Generation, 
is in walking distance for us. So come check out both. Other half isn't too far away either, uh, but we're in a very good area there. Uh, so yeah. Uh, and then if you happen to be in Leesburg, um, which the little tiny town that we started in, that original location is amazing. Um, is my favorite place to hang out. Like I said, it's a dive bar that brewed some beer. Uh, come there, listen to some bluegrass or you know some punk bands, and uh, have a cigar out on the patio. It's it's great. Let's go. Beautiful. I love it, guys. Make sure you check it out, and also you know look out for for Crooked Run at your favorite if you're in the states. Um, look out for it in your favorite store and ask for it. Is that helpful if people ask for Crooked Run at the store? Yeah. Absolutely. Ask for yeah. demand. Don't ask. Demand it. And God damn it, <laughs> make it happen. Um, stick around after. We'll just wrap this up real quick. But guys, thank you again for your time. I really appreciate it. Everybody, thank you for watching and listening. If you enjoyed the episode, smash the thumbs up. Hit subscribe below. Hit the notification bell so you know when the new drops. Follow us everywhere at BOS Podcast. We drop every Wednesday in the morning for the audio, in the evening for the video. Guys, we'll see you in the next episode. Cheers, fellas. Peace.